So what got you going into CBD? Um, so I started out as a user. Um, you know, I, I told you I've had back problems. Yeah. Um, ended up having surgery in 2019. Uh, I've got a collapsed disc, L5S1. Um, and so I was doing a very physical job uh, for 20 years, climbing telephone poles um, in a work truck all day, bouncing around. And I was just in constant pain um, uh, to the point where literally like the last two years I was at work, I would sit on my elbows in my work truck to keep my butt off the off the seat. Uh, it felt like I had a broken tailbone because the nerves were pinching, sciatica and everything. So I started out using CBD. Um, I was already kind of towards the end of my career with AT&T and uh, kind of eyeing what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, you know. And uh, I always wanted to buy a farm and uh, work in that way. So I I bought my farm. I was already growing like organic veggies and um, and then learned about the Tennessee Hemp Pilot Program that launched in 2014 um, applied, got a license. I was like licensed under 230, I think 227 or something. And by the end of that year, there was 5,000 licenses issued in Tennessee. Um, so we grew, we grew our crops and, um, the price just, it, it just got gutted. They, uh, they allowed way too many growers in the state. And, uh, that was 2019 is the year that they went legal nationwide too. So, uh, the whole market just got saturated and oversupplied. Um, when I set my first plants in the ground in 2019, uh, hemp was going good. Hemp flour was going for upwards of $80 a pound. By the time I had harvested and uh, packed all my material, like that February, hemp was going under $10 a pound. And by midsummer, it was, people were selling it for 35 cents to a dollar a pound for biomass. So kind of blew my, kind of blew the business model up, you know? So why did, why did Tennessee approve so many? Was that was just saying yes to everybody. Like why? Like what was the, uh, you know, I don't know what the decision-making was, uh, at that level. There was a lot of, uh, growers that had been in the program since 2014 that were trying to advise them to not do that. You know, um, like let's keep this controlled. Let's make sure that it's profitable for the farmers and that it continues to be a good program. And, uh, man, they just pulled, they just pulled the reins off and let it go hog wild. And, you know, like I said, before you know, there's 5,000 licenses issued, people are growing it in their backyard, you know, and I I had a massive grow. I grew six acres, about 12,000 plants. So I ended up with, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of biomass. And, uh, I'm, so I'm sitting here now with what should have been a very lucrative grow with, uh, a not very valuable, um, uh, grow for a lot of work. And that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done growing that, you know? Um, so anyway, my, when I got into it, it, I just wanted to grow it. Like I enjoy the farming aspect of it. Love being out in the field. It was a really fun crop to grow. Um, I mean, I can't tell you what 12,000 plants looks like in a field or smells like, but it was amazing. You smell my farm eight miles away coming into town. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I went into it just wanting to be a grower and, uh, and then here I was stuck with, thousands and thousands of pounds of, uh, hemp biomass and, uh, uh, of really no value. I could have sold it and just taken an L and a huge loss. Um, um, so then I started, uh, just getting in gear and I'm like, look, I'm going to have to see this thing through all the way to the retail dollar to, uh, to make this work for me. Um, so I got the process started, um, ended up, um, fortunately meeting some really, really good guys. They, uh, were starting up a hemp lab in Rossville. Uh, about 10 miles from my farm. And um, one of the principals is a former VP of FedEx. Um, um, they have a, um, 
their head of chemistry, um, head of the lab. He's a doctorate of chemistry. He ran like a $25 billion chemical company for Holy 20 shit. years. Yeah. So they were really um, dialed in guys, motivated, well-funded. Um, so they set up a hell of a facility, man. They are like world-class uh, lab over there. Um, so I partnered with them and I got my stuff extracted and then, uh, we started the long process of formulating products and, um, here we are now. Um, I brought you guys some samples, of course. Um, there you go. Thank you. So this helps with your back? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we can go through each product. Um, as we go, I've got, <clears throat> I've got, uh, Four like your packaging. It's really nice. Appreciate that. My my wife and sister in law did all my design work. Um, how'd y'all how'd y'all come up with the name? <laughs> it's my, my sister in law. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, that was her her idea for branding. Um, so it's Moody and Co. M O O D E A N D C O. Are these vapes? No. So I, I was telling Raul before you came in, Tony. Um, you know, I, I know you guys had TN Roots on, and you've had some other CBD people, uh, so you've had some exposure to it. Um, you know, they a lot of other companies lean in more to the psychoactive side. They're doing the Delta 8s and Delta 9s. We're, we're more geared towards uh, health, medical benefits of it. Um, so we have uh, four tinctures, um, four ingestible tinctures. Uh, Uplift is our immunity blend. Um, uh, it's a daytime formula. We've got elderberry, vitamin D. Uh, vitamin C and uh, all of our THC and our ingestibles is, I'm sorry, all of our CBD and our ingestibles is THC free. Um, we went through the extra trouble to remediate um, my material so that anybody can use this. Um, I thought that was really important. I've got a lot of friends that have CDLs or pilots and uh, they get drug tested. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wanted to have something that everybody could use. Um and then here we have our remedy, which is just our base formula. It's just straight CBD and uh, MCT oil. Um, no bells and whistles on that one. Um, that one's really good for pets. Um, got a lot of people using that, putting it in their dog food for their um, aging pet. You know, a lot of a lot of dogs with arthritis. Um, and then we have our snooze formula, which is our sleep formula. Um, this one's unique. My manufacturing partner is my lab in Rossville, and they have a uh, patent pending. Uh, formulation called Element Six that's in this. Are you familiar with liposomes? Mm -mm. So uh, they're kind of like the next big thing in supplements. Um, you're seeing a lot of uh, supplement vendors move to this. Um, uh, liposomes they take like plant fats uh, from sunflower oil mm -hmm. and they coat the uh, supplement in it. And so when you ingest it, it doesn't get destroyed by your stomach acids. So you get a higher uptake uh, in your digestive system. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a liposomal formula. Um, so you get a, a little higher uptake on that. Um, the sleep formula's got uh, uh, GABA, ashwagandha root, uh, glutathione, passion flower, chamomile, and then we have uh, uh, three milligrams of mel melatonin in it. This stuff works great. Um, that GABA, that GABA root, I hear that. I've seen that name a lot mm -hmm. on different like different products and stuff. We, uh, I mean, we did a lot of research on you know uh, each one of these is kind of targeting. Um, something in uh, some kind of condition or ailment. Um, I got to be careful saying that because we obviously don't diagnose, treat or, <laughs> yeah. or cure any illnesses. But, uh, um, you know, this is all geared to give people relief from um, uh, a variety of uh, ailments. Um, my last ingestible is uh, our unwind. This is my favorite formula. This is what I like to use at home. Um, 
and it's got CBD and CBN. Uh, so you're familiar that there's more with the variety of cannabinoids. No, no, not really. I don't remember what. What does um, the N do? Yeah. Um, so CBN is another cannabinoid. There's 113 in the cannabis plant. Uh, most people are only familiar with like THC and CBD, mm-hmm. um, but there's 113 of them total. Um, and so they're just now kind of starting to find that certain ones help in certain ways. Okay. Um, CBN is a really good cannabinoid for stress and anxiety relief. Um, so we uh, we added CBN into this formula. Uh, it's called Unwind. It is for to relax and um, help ease stress and anxiety. Um, it's got valerian root, chamomile, lavender, and passion flower in it as well. Um, and these are flavored except for remedy. Remedy's not flavored. Snoop, uh, snooze is a berry flavor. This is my favorite flavor wise. The uh, uplift it's a uh, orange creamsicle. And I, I, I brought these for you guys to try. Oh, appreciate um, that. and the unwind is a lemonade. And then we have the gummies. Um, some people don't like, um, using the tinctures, uh, tear that open and pop one and give it a shot. Sure. The strawberry. So the gummies are 25 milligrams. You're going to get about 50 to 60 milligram dosage on the uh, tincture. Um, and so what do the gummies relieve? <clears throat> so CBDs, uh, like I said, it's, it's great for stress, stress, anxiety. Um, but probably it's most important property is, uh, it's anti-inflammatory oh, okay. Um, properties. Okay. So if you have an uh, inflammatory condition, which almost everybody does because right. of our diets, give that a shot. I, I think we've got the best tasting gummies on the market. And each one is what? 25 or 25 milligrams. Okay. Yep. Um, it smells good. Yeah, they're great. And those are all THC free. Um, I love, I love the fact that it has it on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I trust you all, obviously, too. But like people that are buying this, definitely got to talk to you physically. I mean, right there in front of them, they see that they're like, "Fuck yeah, I could definitely pass the drug test doing this." One hundred percent. And then boom, you know. And uh, it's got a good taste, man. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad y'all enjoy it. Um, when you go on the website, uh, I have a section on the website that says COAs, that Certificate of Analysis. Um, uh, I'm up, I'm about as documented as, as you can be, uh, on this, uh, got to be, man, you've got to be, um, and you know, I think, I feel like when you put something like that on a package, people are trusting, trusting you, you know what I mean? And, um, uh, so I've, I've done all the work, uh, to make sure that it is exactly what we say it is. Um, so you can go on and scan the QR code on any packaging, any of our products, and it takes you back and you can see the lineage of testing all the way from the biomass material, the original material, Tested at each point in the extraction process, and then I have pre and post formulation testing shows non detectable um, amounts of THC. You can also see the levels of CBD. Um, actually, a lot of my tinctures came in a little hotter than fifteen hundred milligrams. Um, my manufacturer partner on three of them, um, he said, "You know, a lot of people bring me substandard material, so we like to add fifteen percent." And I'm like, "Look, man, my testing's legitimate. You know, I've got great great lab partners for third party testing." And uh, he ended up putting 15% more in anyway. And so they came back at like 18 to 1900 milligrams <laughs> in the post formulation testing. Um, so that's to the benefit of the customer, not me. So you said this will help with, with inflammation. Mm-hmm. So when you were having your back problems, what relief did you get from the CBD? From the CBD? Uh, just uh, a pain relief. Um, really? You know, yeah, it just dulled, it dulled that constant pain. Um, 
you know, to the point where you kind of forget that you'd even taken it. Really? I don't know if you've had, you know, any kind of chronic pain condition or anything, bad knee or anything like that, but it's kind of funny, like when it hurts all the time and you finally get rid of the pain, you just kind of forget that you even have it, Mm. you know, and uh, you'll kind of turn around and go, oh man, I feel good. You know, I, I didn't even realize it. And how many of these uh, edible or not edibles, but these gummies should you take every day? Uh, I'm about 200 pounds. I like to take two. Um, okay. And that kind of puts you in line with the dosing of a tincture. Um, so the tincture bottles, um, let me show you what we've done. Yeah. Can I see what one looks like? Yeah. So oh, it's bottle. a droplet. Yeah. You just drop it into your tongue? Correct. <clears throat> um, so you drop it under your tongue. Um and try to let it uh, absorb for about a minute or two sublingual. That's the thinnest skin in your body under your tongue. Um, probably the best way to intake CBD is by smoking it um, because it goes straight to the bloodstream. And I was smoking uh, a lot of hemp flour to get relief uh, mm. for a while. Um, but, you know, smoking long term is not a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the ingestibles are a and lot. How many droplets do you do? All right. So this is what I was going to show you guys. Um so we and this one is the unwind unwind. Correct. Okay. Um, so we've got graduated cylinders so you can, uh, you can keep track of your dosing. You know, if you don't want a 50 milligram or 60 milligram dose, you just take half of a dropper full, uh, okay. half of a milliliter. Each bottle's 30 milliliters. So you get about 30 full doses, okay. uh, uh, one milliliter doses. And, uh, at 1800 milligrams, you're getting about 60 milligrams of dose. At 50 milligrams, you're getting, uh, I'm sorry, at 1500 milligrams, you're getting about 50 uh, milligrams a dose. Um, but you can get on, on the website and check the uh, COAs and you can see, uh, what each one came in at. Um, but, uh, I, I feel like 50, 60 is kind of that sweet spot to really get the relief and, and, uh, feel the effects of the CBD. Um, so that's what I generally tell people. I tell them, look, if it comes back too intense, just cut your dosage down, go to 0.75 milliliter or half a milliliter. Uh, but I think that's, that's about the right one, but, uh, give that one a shot. What is it? Just make people too chill if they, uh, they do too much. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I definitely. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so you say you do one full, pull one, one full dropper. And since you, since you're going to probably try a couple different ones, yeah. um, if you don't want to get too zoned out during the podcast, maybe, uh, just a little bit, just again. a little bit for taste test. So that'd be good. Or is that too sure, much? Sure. That'd be great. You said underneath the tongue. Correct. And, uh, you may not want to hold it there since we're trying to talk. Yeah. But um, how long do you say you're supposed to leave it for? Um, I advise most people, you know, as long as you can. Uh, obviously, the longer it's under your tongue, you're more, the more you're going to absorb that way before you hit your digestive system. But uh, um, about a minute or two. Um, and that's lemonade. That's a really good flavor. Let me get Calming blend. Oh, I, I can feel the lemon. Yeah. I can smell it like or I can taste it. Here, try this. It's uh, like calming. Like even the smell is calming. We did a lot of work developing these. Um, you know, we went back and forth to get the the taste right, the formulations right. Um, and what does this one do? Um, that's uplift. That's our immune boost. So we came out with this during COVID. Um, okay. Um, you know, it's got a, a little immunity blend of vitamins and supplements in it to give you a little boost. Um, and that's a good one to take during the day. Um, it doesn't have the CBN in it. So if you're not looking to... You still got to engage in whatever you're doing. You know, you're not not too chill to get work done. That's the best tasting one, the orange cream school.
That is good. <clears throat> then, uh, I like the smells, man. Yeah. How do you do this? You just squeeze this thing? Yeah, squeeze the dropper. So yeah. about that much? Yeah, sure. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> don't be like, scared. Like, I've done hard drugs in my life, but I don't do something that's beneficial to me. <laughs> so just right here? Yeah, put it under your tongue. And then while he's trying that, Tony, um, we've got uh, two topical products. Um, and these are actually my best sellers. And uh, I get the most feedback on these. Um, uh, we've got two topical balms. Um, we've got our fire and ice. It's uh, it's a little bit like Icy Hot. It's loaded with menthol and camphor. Okay. Um, our bombs are pretty big. Uh, they're about two and a half ounce blocks, and they're twist up. So, oh, shit, so you can yeah. apply it without having to get it all over your fingers. Okay. Now, I will say it, it works a little better rubbing it in. Yeah. Um, I slept on my neck wrong two nights ago. Yeah, I've I just been, saw you do. That's the one you used, right? Correct. Well, not that particular one, but, like, that's the flavor. Mm-hmm. And uh, anytime my back acts up, this is what I go to, huh. uh, this fire and ice. Um, but... Give that a smell, and you can put that on. So I went pretty strong on our dosing, especially on the topicals. You know, um, if you look at a lot of the other products you're going to find on the market, um, you know, they're like one to seven, 800 milligrams. And um, I wanted something that's going to be really effective uh, for my customers because if it's not working, people aren't going to continue to buy from you and use it. Um, So those are each bomb's 1,250 milligrams, which is a pretty stout dose. Um, You have uh, elbow Elbow problems. Man, I started working out again. And like sometimes like when I'm doing like something with triceps, my elbows hurt a little bit. A little tendonitis. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to leave that with you. So just continue to use that and let me know what you think. Um, so that the fire and ice bombs kind of geared more towards exactly what you're saying. Um, athletes, people working out, people with muscle soreness. Um, you get that good icy hot feeling, uh, but you get the good CBD penetration. Smells good, man. Mm-hmm. I love that product. I use that one all the time. That lemon thing. What was the lemon one called again? I just did. Uh, the lemon is unwind. Yeah. Yeah. I need to use that regularly because I'm hype, man. Yeah. Well, I'm leaving all these with you. So. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah. You guys get a get to use them for a while and and uh, check them out. All right. So here's our, our last product is my OG Balm. Um, the OG Balm is the only product in my lineup that is not tea free. Okay. Um, this is a full spectrum balm. So it's got uh, a lot of other cannabinoids in it. Um, it's got a lot more of the plant material. Um, so the way we achieved uh, THC free is uh, we ran the material, my uh, uh, biomass. Um, the first step in the extraction process is run into crude, what's called crude oil. It's a real dark molasses syrupy looking oil. And a lot of uh, many, a lot of people stop there with their product because it's cheap and easy to manufacture uh, crude oil. It's just a, a one step extraction. Um, yeah. Oh, where's the lid for this one? I'm sorry, it's floating. I got it right here. Oh, okay. Um. So the second second uh, level of extraction is called distillate, um, and they remove a lot more of the plant fat, uh, plant material, lipids, um, but you're still left with. Um, um, terpenes uh, a lot lot of terpenes still left terpenes are kind of like your essence your smells um uh in the uh in the oil and then the last it's expensive to run it to this but the last iteration is what's called isolate and it's 99.98 percent pure cbd it's like crystallized it's a really pretty looking material i bet yeah (laughs) it sounds sounds like it um so uh a lot of people are big on full spectrum um you'll see it 
um, you know, um, referenced a lot in uh, products. Um, so we wanted to have a full spectrum offering. Um, the other thing I like about this balm, um, this is great for like bug bites. My daughter gets terrible mosquito bites. And, uh, so we use this on her skin. Um, it's good for acne, put it on, take the red and the inflammation out of, uh, uh, out of pimples. I've had, um, uh, two girls I know that work out have started using this, uh, for menstrual cramps. They put it on their abdomen Yeah, and, uh, said they're getting a lot of relief from, uh, their menstrual cramps. Um, and so obviously the menthol camphor is not going to be comfortable on a bug bite where you have an open wound, you know, it's going to, going to burn a little bit. So, um, I like this one for more general use. I have a lot of people that put this on their temples, uh, and their forehead when they have headaches. Really? Mm -hmm. How often should you use it? Like every day, man, I, I use, I use this sometimes twice a day. Um, what does that one smell like? It's much weedier. That's, you can smell the difference between uh, a distillate product and a full spectrum product. Um, it's still got a lot of the um, terpenes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, though. I love that smell. Why did you decide that you wanted one full spectrum? Is that just how the norm is? Like, you have... Well, let me ask. Let me, let me start over. <clears throat> so, people that are buying, like, Delta 9 and stuff and Delta 8 from, like, gas station. Like, mm -hmm. I see them at my gas stations all the time, right? Right. Are those, do those have THC in it? Uh, they could. Like, okay. So uh, to be like, people like with my kind of job, they're just kind of chancing it if they buy it from a gas station. You are risking it. Uh, and also, um, so one of the strong points for me when I'm selling my product to people is that, look, I grew this material myself. Uh, I grow only using organic practices. Um, we don't spray um, all my inputs, fertilizer inputs, everything that went into the soil is OMRI certified. Um, so I grow organic. Um, I'm not certified organic, but uh, I grow, you have to say you grow using organic practices. So basically I do everything it takes to be an organic grower, except for paying the government, the licensing fee to get a uh, certified organic. Um, and you know, uh, if that becomes important to people, I can always go get that certification, but, um, I have all my documentation to back up the way I grow. Um, um, so back to your point about, uh, THC, um, um, the legal threshold is 0.3% or less to be compliant. Okay. So as long as they're coming in and you'll see a lot of people say they're selling Delta nine just because it has that 0.3% THC or less in it, but that's not a real dose of Delta nine. Right. So Delta nine is the THC molecule. Um, is that to skirt past the Delta eight? Cause aren't they trying to make that illegal? Yeah, and and that's part of the reason I've steered clear of all that stuff. Uh, you so know, that's kind of moving the goalpost. It seems exactly. I mean, you know, you've seen it with like spice and all these crazy products over the years. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're always flipping a molecule this way or that way to to skirt the the rules. Yeah, and um, you know, that's just not the aspect of the business that I wanted to be involved in. This is a uh, CBD is a a really beautiful uh, compound. It has tons of uh, medicinal benefits, and um, I think that alone um, is where it holds all the value. I know people like to get messed up, you know, and get high. And that, I'm totally fine with that, man. Like, um, but that's not the the aspect of the business that I wanted to be involved in. Um, there's a million other people that are already doing that. You know, I wanted to make a high quality product that worked well, that that reflected the health benefits of uh, of this compound, you know. Um, and now, so with, the, with the CBD plant, Correct me if I'm wrong, but 
isn't it the same as the regular flower? I guess you smoke to get high with THC, but you just don't grow as long. Or is uh, it the opposite? No, it's a completely different cultivar. So, okay. you know, uh, give you like a dog analogy, you know, it'd be the difference between like a Chihuahua and a German Shepherd. Okay. Right. They're both dogs, but they're completely different dogs. Right. Um, so the hemp plant looks, smells, smokes, tastes everything just like high THC marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't tell the difference. Um, but just like a dog, it's been bred to have certain characteristics, right? Yeah. And so um, people have been working on these cultivars for years to try to um, um, evolve out the THC aspects of it and to lean into the CBD um, aspects of it, right? Mm. Just like you would grow a tomato for um, size and color, right? Um, So there's real specific cultivars that you have to grow um, that produce high levels of CBD and small amounts of THC. There is kind of an art um, in growing it and harvesting at the right time. Yeah. Because you don't want to go hot. Uh, the state will come in and destroy your crop. And uh state of Tennessee comes out. What do you mean by that? Go um, hot. Go hot. Uh, by go hot means exceeding the 0.3% THC level. So if you grow it too too much? Too long. If you leave it, there's, there's kind of a, a narrow window where really like the last three or four weeks is when the flower is building the trichromes, the crystals, um, yeah. and really starting to put up, put out its potency. Um, so there's, there is kind of an art in growing it where you have to capture it, where you're, you're getting the most, uh, yield, but you're not uh, leaving the plant out too long where it produces too much THC as well. Maybe that's what I heard then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the people that, uh, we talked to <clears throat> said something about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue to grow hemp. Um, they've made it even more difficult um, since uh, this harvest. Um, they've got new compliance rules. So uh, with this crop, when this came out, um, Delta 9 was the only thing that they tested for. Mm. Okay. Um, there's also what's called THCA. Um, and THCA, uh, like uh, my plant material came in about 0. 0.43, 0. 0.44 uh, total THC. But they didn't count the THCA portion of it towards your total Delta 9 content. Um, and now it's included. So um, it doesn't matter anyway because this was all run down to isolate. So uh, we eliminated all that THC anyway through the uh, manufacturing process. But uh, uh, it's made it very difficult on the farmers to have compliant crops. There's um, there's only, from my understanding, talking to uh, partner farms that I've grown with, there's only a couple cultivars left that will meet those uh, new thresholds. Um, so it used to be total THC, or it used to be just Delta 9. Now it's what they call total THC, and they include that THCA. Um, my Delta 9 content was only like 0. 0.17, 0. 0.19 in these cultivars, but with the, the THCA in, included, it was like 0. 0.43, 0. 0.44. Who's keeping up with all this? I mean, because that's a lot to make sure you're not – doing something that they're going to bust you for or something later on down the road. Right. And, and it's on the farmer, um, you know, much like farming and every other uh, aspect. Farming is a difficult job. Um, so did they say like, hey, we change this law or change this rule or do you have to do your own due diligence to figure out that they change something? Um, they do publish their uh, they do publish uh, their requirements. OK, but it's constantly evolving. And uh, yeah, it's fucked. And the bad thing is, is like, you know, this is all being written by politicians. They you know, have no idea. They don't know. They're not educated on this. Yeah. And so they're just throwing out these arbitrary numbers. The 0.3% THC is an arbitrary number. Mm. Like uh, everybody's asked for years. How did y'all even come up with that? 
You know what I mean? Because 1% THC is not even going to get you messed up. Yeah. You know? And so, um, you know, it. sometimes you kind of think it's all there, put there to be roadblocks to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to keep this from becoming what it needs to be. Um, How much do you think if Big Pharma was not involved in, like, say, like, prisons, would it not be a non-issue? Uh, I'm 100% certain it'd be a non-issue. That's um, just sad, man. Yeah. Greed is real, man. It's... um. I was listening to they were talking about that FTX and mm-hmm. how that guy sold the allegedly stole this money. This one guy's like, man, people have been doing that forever. You know, somebody's always going to be corrupt. So there's going to be these politicians who may have initially when they got into office had good intentions, but then people start getting in their pockets and then they're like, oh, I can make money by blocking a certain thing that might help people out. And you know, it's just yeah, company X sad. gave me ten thousand yeah. dollars, you know, uh, towards my campaign. Mm-hmm. And you know, they say as soon as people are elected. They're already working on becoming elected the next time. <laughs> yeah. So, Career uh, politicians, man. Yeah. Th- we've got to do something in this country with term limits. Um, uh, they need to just outright ban lobbying. Um, there needs to be term limits. Um, you know, when you look back at the history of politics in the United States, it, it was considered a service back in the day. People stepped away from their careers to serve yeah. as a congressman or a senator. And now it's a career in itself. Yeah. You know, and it's lucrative. All you got to do is look at Congress. How are people that make... $180,000 a year worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, and they don't have, an, they have a need to have an age limit too. Cause you shouldn't have somebody that was born in the forties making laws and rules for people today. Right. Cause I mean, there is a certain point where some people, when you get to a certain age, you're stuck in your way. So you're never going to see a new way of thinking. Yeah, and you're not in tune with uh, the current, current thoughts, you know, yeah. the current culture. Uh, I remember can't see, be. Yeah. I remember seeing this online a couple of weeks or, Maybe it was like last year or something. They asked like some one of the Congress people, like, how much is a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread cost at, say, whatever at the grocery store? And they're like, oh, you know, um, I have. Uh, uh, and they had to stumble because they have no idea because their assistant gets it or, you know, it's somebody removed. Somebody in their house gets it for them. You know, like they don't actually go to the fucking grocery store themselves. No. And that and that's where like. And honestly, it's on, it's on kind of on us as the voters. I mean, these yeah. people are being elected. So somebody's putting the votes mm-hmm. uh, towards them, you know, or not enough people are showing up. So the wrong ones keep on. That's correct. Getting, well, it's a lot of older people will continue to vote and the younger ones don't. Yeah. So, I saw that like Nancy Pelosi just stepped down and I think she was 80 or she is 80 in her 80s. Yeah. And then there's a guy now that they have, I think he's in his 50s. And it's like, that's not even that young. Yeah. So it's like, you know, but you don't, to her, you don't want a 20 year old in there right yeah, now. That's a, that's a big, big difference. 50 something and 80. You know, that's 30. That's a big generational gap. Like the right guy there. said, I think she, he was in diapers when she first got away. <laughs> yeah. But 100% agree with both of you guys. Term limits have to come because you don't want people like, like, like Nancy Pelosi that's so old running, making these decisions for us. She's been in Congress for 30 years, yeah, 40 you years. Know, like, They need to, they definitely need to ramp that. But why would they vote to ramp that for themselves to get them out of office, right? They're they're never going (laughs) to. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably why why nothing will ever change, you know? They're not going to vote for pay cuts. They're not going to pay to put these rules in place to regulate themselves. Oh, hell no. You know, like when everything's shutting down, everyone's having bad times, trying to find a hard place. I mean, trying to find money to buy shit, you know, for their families and stuff. And these motherfuckers living life. Like here in Memphis, the lady... 
with the whole license plate fiasco oh, thing, God. she she bolted to Mexico. Yeah, like, she was on vacation, and they just shut all they shut them all she, down. She shut them down. I went to Mexico. Yeah, I was like, uh, what happened? Wanda Hobbit or Hobbit, right? Hal- yeah, Halbert, Halbert, the Halbert, county yeah. clerk. Yeah, uh, the Memphis short? Memphis City clerk. Mm-hmm. She runs basically like the D, the D, not the DMV, but the registration and licensing yeah. uh, stations. And um, they had a whole debacle with getting the new license plates out. People weren't getting their plates, and then. Uh, they went to confront her about it, and she just went on vacation, and they shut all the stations down. So you couldn't even go go in and register oh, your car. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, for like a week. And um, I I suffered through that this week. I had to go get – we bought my son a car, <laughs> so I had to go register a car, and it was awful. Like, I don't know why it has to be that bad of an experience. But uh stood stood outside. It was about 37 degrees for an hour and a half. Did you go to the one in summer? I went to Mullen Station. Hmm. Um, I, I, every day I was kind of driving by Highland, like checking the line, and it's wrapped around the building. I'm like, yeah, I'm not standing in that. And uh, that's ridiculous. Got there at 7:30. I was probably about the 16th or 17th person in line. Stood outside for an hour and a half where they even opened the doors, and then it still took two hours at number 16. Do they still not let everybody in the building at the same time? Mm-mm. Yeah, they bring you in like an, enough to fill up the pew in the hallway, yeah. and then fill up the chairs in the room, and then they'll do like a whole row, and then they'll bring. That's so ridiculous, yeah. man. And they're they're dude, they're so rude, man. I had this uh this older woman, she was um uh, I couldn't tell what she was. She might have been Hispanic or something. She obviously didn't speak great English, you know, and she was elderly. And they're just like yelling at this woman in the in the waiting room, you know, like, I saw you yesterday. You need to shut up, you know, and I'm like Wow. Like you work for us. Like how are you talking to <laughs> It's fucking wild. <laughs> how are you right talking there? to people like that? So it's it's not a fun experience, man. Don't don't let your license plate lapse. Do you think people in like that that work in those positions become that way because of the har- constant badgering harassment they get from like normal like people that go to those places? Probably. I mean, after year after a couple of years of taking, you know. I mean, if you know, I, I could see the frustration. Like you know, people aren't they don't know the process, but those people are there to help help you through the process. But I, you know, I could see where it gets frustrating dealing with that day in and day out. People coming in unprepared, they don't have what what's required to get the job done. You know, but like, you can always quit. You can't always quit. You can't always quit. Yeah, I mean, like just to be a dick to be a dick is not a good thing. Yeah, you should treat people case by case. Like if somebody's mean to you, you probably don't have to yell at them or something. But no, I mean that woman was obviously confused, yeah. and there was a communication barrier. Like I don't know why she needed to be yelled at, and she was almost in tears. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And then they should probably have somebody that speaks Spanish. Yeah. Work in there. Yeah, we have a huge Hispanic population in Memphis. So, yeah. and a lot of a lot of people just don't speak any English at all. You know? I mean, the lady went to Mexico, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fucking bring somebody back. <laughs> So, you know, my wife's Vietnamese, and so when her parents go, they don't speak great English, so mm. she has to go with them, you know, to help. Um, Man, it's trippy when you go to another country and you realize that you're the foreigner. So, like, when I went to, uh, first time I went to uh, Barcelona, and I went to Madrid, and I don't speak any, I've been learning Spanish since we got back from Colombia, but, uh, like, I, got, I went there, and I was like, I, I, I just... I can under relate to somebody that moves here and not know the language or the culture. Feel, yeah. You feel like you're lost. Like I'm looking at pictures, trying to point shit out and still got the wrong stuff, you know? <laughs> so it's, it, it's a different thing. Like, so I think a lot of people don't have the empathy for people that are in that position. Uh, you could probably say that for society as a whole. Well, That's I mean, very true. You know, there's things could be a lot better. if People had more respect for each other, you know, and 100%, empathy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't even know you guys went on went to Columbia. I guess y'all went with Chris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's wild down there, isn't it? We went for Nick's bachelor party. 
Okay. <clears throat> um, I don't know. I just we went to this castle thing, fort. That was really cool. It was hot as fuck. So we didn't me. I, so me, Tony, and uh, who walked with us? Was it just us two? To the castle? No, they walked off from that little tour group thing. Yeah, it was just you. And I. Uh, I mean, it was like 100 degrees. The guy was telling a story, for like one story for like 17 minutes. I'm like, let's go. So Tony's just walking. I started walking with him. We see everything. It's cool as shit. And I mean, I knew I wasn't going to retain the information. <laughs> the and, then, is- and then Eubank's like, oh, I, I like knowledge. <laughs> so so I was like, okay, motherfucker, when we get done, I'm going to ask you a question. He's like, all right. You know how he is. And then as soon as I asked him a question, I think he asked a question. I'm like, bitch, you did the tour. <laughs> you set it up. Because <laughs> we went to go eat at the restaurant across the street from where the thing is, you know. And that's what they were talking about. And he's like. What happened to your tour? I thought you learned a lot of stuff. I mean, it was just too hot to sit there listening to that old man talk, man. I was like, I can't do this. I mean, it's cool. It's, it looks nice. I mean, I can visually remember it, but I'm not yeah. going to soak in that information. Where did, where did y'all go in Colombia? Cartagena. Cartagena. So, like, we were inside the wall. The wall. So, we were inside the wall city, mm-hmm. which is really fucking cool if you think about it, that they built that fort or the fortress, and then they built wall around the city, too, to keep people out. Like, yeah. when we were driving past, I had no idea what it was, like, coming from the airport, you know? And then I was like, let's go see the wall thing. And then we started walking, and then, boom. I was like, is that the wall? We could see from our Airbnb, like, when we walked outside. You know, it's it's you, it's like any other country, man. It has, it has its problems. It has, you know, great things to do, I'm sure. And um, there's just a lot of poverty. Oh, yeah. You know, you see little kids asking for money, like, the whole time you go out at night, you know. Like, you don't see them during the daytime, but as much, I should say. But it was it was sad, but, you know. And, unfortunately, I didn't fucking... I thought my Amex car would work at in the ATM down there, and mm-hmm. it didn't. Because Amex told me it would work. So, I only had, like, 300 bucks that I took with me. And then once we cashed that into pesos, I didn't know how the money worked. So I was giving like a bunch of pesos to people and like not knowing what the value was. So, right. I mean, it doesn't matter, but you know, that's, that's real third, third world, you know? Um, and once you've seen that, it makes you appreciate how good we have it here. Um, you know, I, I used to go down and DJ down there, um, mid, mid two thousands. Uh, I was doing some DJ tours. I've been to Bogota, Cartagena, Cali, uh, all over Colombia. And, uh, yeah, you do like, it blew my mind the first time because down there, like the nightclubs don't even really get going until like two, three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd show up for a DJ set at like three in the morning and walk out at 11, Wow! you know, and those people go home and drink whiskey all day after that. You know, I mean, they're wild, but, uh, yeah, like we'd be going to the club like three in the morning. And uh, I remember my son was probably like three or four at the time. Uh, and I remember driving past this like three-year-old standing on a corner by himself, like in the dark, no, no adult watching over them, just like standing on the street. And I was just like, oh, my God. You know, when you have kids, it, it hits home when you see that. When you see something happen to children or you see kids suffering, it, it hits different when you've got your own. And uh, it was very relatable because my son was about the same age. And I was just like, who would let their three-year-old stand on the damn street, you know, begging at 3 o'clock in the morning in the dark by themselves? Yeah, it really is a a wake-up call. And I wish more people could see that. Because, like I said, there's we have our problems here. But we don't have it like some other people do in some other place. Some play people don't have access to clean water. Right. I mean, that's the good majority of the world. And to for people to bitch about stuff that is just not worth compl- complaining about, at least in my opinion, is just I don't get it. I don't know. Yeah, you know, 
adversity here sometimes is my cable got cut off, you know. But <laughs> Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi down. Well, they they <laughs> say if you're able to bitch about it online, you're not that bad. That's right. Because you're using a smartphone. That's right. You know. <clears throat> my, the worst one is, like, when you see people sharing that, the stories about how they mine the cobalt or whatever for iPhones and stuff, you know, smartphones. Oh, yeah. But they're posting about it on their smartphone. Like, they're not putting one and two together. Like, you're using a smartphone to post this. <laughs> you know, so. China's a whole different deal. Uh, my brother lives over there. He's he's about to come home for Christmas. And uh, kind of hoping he'll move on from there. He's been there about seven years teaching English. And, um, you know, the, the whole geopolitical situation and the way China's. Really, it happened during Trump. He used to love China. And then when Trump got in, started challenging the trade agreements, um, they did, he said they just started getting really nasty to the expats. Mm-hmm. They would come into their schools, drug test all the American or uh, expat teachers, you know, just putting a lot of pressure on them. But he stayed. I mean, he likes it. But um, Did he get a lot of the COVID restrictions, like lockdown stuff? Yeah. Yeah. They were locked down for a long time. So uh, either he or his wife could leave the apartment once a week to go get food. And that went on for like months. So, damn, they're they're looking to go to maybe Vietnam or um, uh, Japan or Korea to teach next. Um, and so we, I think we'd all like to see them get out of China. See, that's another thing. Like when people were like, "Oh, we're turning to a socialist." Go there, yeah. And see what that's fucking like, man. Yeah, that, that well, I see the socialist posts all the time. Oh, this is you know, I'm like, I don't think this is what you. I honestly don't really know what it is. Well, I know the government owns everything, right? Is that pretty much what it is? Pretty much. Yeah. Like, you don't own that car. The government owns your car. You don't own that. Yeah. But, like, yeah, go go live in this countries that have it and then tell me, like, do you want that? Or even the whole freedom of speech thing. It's like, you can say whatever the fuck you want. Doesn't mean somebody's going to agree with it. But, like, over there, I saw, like, if you go against the government and you like a post, they can come after you. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, they, just imagine they'll, all they'll the come drag you out of your apartment, <laughs> kicking and screaming. They just, um, <laughs> you, you, you all know, heard about the thing about uh, women's rights going on in Iran right now. Mm-hmm. Iran, like a rap, uh, Iranian rapper made a song or uh, did something where it got a lot of traction, and they're trying to kill his ass now. Yeah, they're hunting him down. Yeah, like you know, they're not playing. Like, but their freedom of speech, you don't have it. If you say something against, like you say anything against any political party member, anyone high up with money, you're, you're through. Yeah. You just, you just get sh- disappeared. You just have to shut the fuck up and take it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, we could have, we could all been killed for talking shit about Wanda Halbert. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get Kanye some unwind? <laughs> Kanye yeah. needs some unwind. That dude needs to chill. I mean, what is going on with this guy, man? Well, now like, every co- single day, it's something new. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, granted, you can have a bad experience with one person, but you shouldn't just blame a whole group of people because of that one person or a couple of people. Well, I think the guy's mentally ill. And, you know, it's kind of unfair to have somebody that's got mental issues and they have that that kind of power, that kind of reach. You know what I mean? He shouldn't be in front of a microphone. His people need to get him tucked away somewhere. Well, it's like all the people that bring him on their podcast are just doing it for the views. Yeah, they're exploiting them. Yeah. You're exploiting them. And I mean, crazy people are going to say crazy stuff. Now, do you think it's going to come to a point where he's going to be like, oh, I need to step away? Or do you think he's just going to continue on until he's like possibly dies or something? Man, who knows? I mean, that guy's got a big ego, you know? Yeah. I don't think he's going to take himself out of the equation. I was um, listening to something and they said, he said that his biggest regret in life is that he's never gets to see himself perform live. Hmm. 
that's kind of a baller thing to say, but I mean, it's fucking, that's egotistical as fuck. Oh, yeah. But yeah. then I listened to the Lex Friedman podcast with him, and he sounds very insecure. Because, like, he was je- he's jealous of Justin Timberlake. He was jealous of uh, Pharrell. Because, like, I think his girlfriend at the time said something like, all oh, the girls like Pharrell. And he's like, well, the girls like Kanye. <laughs> I'm I'm actually not a huge Kanye fan. I mean, uh, I like Kanye when he was just a producer. Yeah, I don't I don't like him lyrically. I don't think he's a great lyricist. There's, you know, I never I never really got it. You know, and uh, uh, I think like Biggie's my favorite. Yeah, I mean, when you when you look at like how Biggie strings together uh, words and mm-hmm. phrases in a story, you know, and then you look at what Kanye Kanye's like, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm like. Uh, I just don't. I don't get the whole Kanye thing. I'm not a fan, but uh, it's it's kind of sad to see the dude just blowing everything right now. Yeah, know? it's like at what point do you say to him, maybe you have these feelings, but you're also affecting your kids, and your kids have to deal with this later on in life or currently right now because I'm sure his kids are where they're able to go to school and have to deal with people. I mean, you already got the whole thing with the mom made a sex tape. Right. And they're the dad, uh, Bruce became Caitlin. a woman, you know, so that family just has a lot of fucking chaos, man. And it's like, how can those kids be normal? But that's the thing. People love chaos. So they just, they, they, like, we think they're not going to be okay. But in their heads, like the Kardashians' heads, or, there's no way they think they, they think they're they fine. They're normal, okay. right? I mean, I mean, you can look at what's going on with Kanye. You can tell that it's not fine. It seems like everybody that gets attached to that family gets some type of stank on them. It's it's a mess, man. Yeah, I mean, they're just like when uh, one of the sisters, I think it was that like Chloe, somebody posted a picture of her and she looked normal, like a normal woman, and she was upset about the picture. But it's like, bitch, you did all this manipulation of your face and have all these women and little girls looking up to y'all with body image issues now. And you're upset that there's a normal picture you out there. It's not Photoshop, right? It's like fuck off, man. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm I'm not with the whole Hollywood thing. I think those are, uh, I think all the the Hollywood what what people think is important. Um, what's kind of sad to see with the kids is like that those are the role models, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they're not good role models. And uh, at some point, we stop celebrating. Like you know, when we were kids, it was like I want to be an astronaut, you know, and now like kids are like I want to be a skank. You know, influencer. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. it's like that's not something to look look up to. You know, but that's what gets that's what gets uh, promoted. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what the kids think is cool. And um, I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't know what the answer is going to be to to write write the culture. But uh, we need a reset, man. Well, now I saw that uh, the SEC is looking into TikTok again. There's well, there's something else they're looking at for about TikTok. Yeah, well. Uh, all that stuff's come to fruition, you know, everything I, I, you know, say what you want about Trump, but you know, he was screaming about this during his administration. And I've got some friends that work in cybersecurity and they're like, they won't, they won't have it on a device. And, you know, I was, after I talked to you, I actually ran into John Twitch at, mm. uh, oh, yeah. at the car dealer and we had a really good conversation, man. He spent some good time with me and gave me some good advice about, um, uh, marketing and promotion. And I'm hoping one day, uh, that we can work together. Uh, it's really impressive what he's done. Um, where was I going with that? Um, man, TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. He, he makes TikToks. He makes yeah. TikTok videos, uh, 30 second things for people. Yeah. But you know, he's, he's got corporate clients that he has to have a device separate from anything that touches their oh, network or yeah. anything like that, because it's so dangerous. I mean, they backdoor and, uh, hoover up all your information, you know? 
Um, so I don't know. My daughter's on it. My wife's on it. I can't get them off of it. My wife loves it. <laughs> and I watched somebody use it one time, and they didn't even watch the video completely before they scrolled up. And they just did that endlessly. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you watching it for? You're not even consuming the whole video. But that's the, that's the, that's what you do. You like no, you're that's not how normal like, people are. We didn't grow up that way. No, and this person is my age, but that's she's in, in her forties. That's entertainment. Oh, I thought you were talking about me for a second. I was like, I thought it was just normal to watch like three seconds of it. Uh, I mean, you get sucked in. Like I uh, I do the reels, you know, and like you'll you'll see like a comedian, you know, you know, and you'll watch a little thirty second snippet, and before you know it, you've sat there for like twenty minutes and watched a hundred videos, you know. Yeah, yeah. I have to leave my phone like by my computer. I can't put it by my bed anymore because I'll sit there and scroll. And you'll be up all night. Fucking, I remember one time, like this two weeks ago, it was like 1 a.m. Like, God damn. <laughs> my friend Ben said it's called mental masturbation. Yeah. Where you're just sitting there and you're just mindlessly scrolling through shit. Well, it's all a waste of time. Uh, I got off social media in 2017. And unfortunately, I've had to get back on it, you know. For the a, company. For yeah. the company, you know. And, I, uh, you know, I got off it. uh we went on a, on a cruise. It was like a 10 day cruise, took the kids. And I was like, dude, I'm unplugging, you know, just completely unplugged, turn my phone off. Didn't do anything for 10 days. Came home, went back to work. And the first day I was back at work, opened Facebook and I looked down, I'm browsing on Facebook and I look up and 45 minutes of blown by like, like nothing. Like I thought I'd just look down for two minutes, you know? And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm wasting, wasting all my time with this. You know, what's even worse when you go out and you see people on it. It's like, why are you out? Yeah. It's like, you're supposed to be socializing with your friends, but then they're all on their fucking phone. Yeah, you see four people at a table and it's like, are y'all texting each other? Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that how we're talking these days? We're it's just, very weird, man. It's weird. You know? And like, uh, so I've got a 20 year old son and a 13 year old daughter. And, um, like, we had to beat my son to get him to go get his damn driver's license. You know, he wasn't seven. He was 17 before he went and got his license. And so we were talking with some other parents at the school and they're like, yeah, it's our kids too. They don't have any interest in driving. You know, really? when we were kids, like, man, we couldn't wait, dude. Yeah. It was like Christmas, you know, two weeks before you turned 16, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, so it makes sense. Like when we were young, you had to go somewhere to hang out and socialize with people. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you had to go to the movies or you had to go to a friend's house or you went, went out to eat. And these days they just sit at home in their beds and communicate with their friends that way. So that's, you don't see them go out and, um, get involved in anything. Um, um, they don't really congregate, you know, they just, they're alone and they're just texting. And, uh, so how are their, uh, are they socially awkward? I think it's making kids socially awkward. You know, when you don't have that human to human interaction, like you're talking to people through an app, Mm -hmm. like that's not, that's not how we've evolved to communicate with each other, you know? So I think it's making some weird, like some weird showing up in some weird ways with, with, uh, this younger generation, you know, they're just, they don't know how to socialize. They don't know how to talk to each other. Yeah. Cause I've even heard that like kids are being virgins until like their twenties and now what's that incel or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, I don't know, man, we're, we're in some weird times, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch, but it's kind of scary too. Cause you're like, I don't know where this is going. And it's like, are we going to die off because no one's going to be together? Yeah. Well, it's like, um, I was talking to my nephew the other day or two weeks and he was like, I was like, what are y'all, what are y'all doing? You know, he's on his phone and he's like, oh, me, me and all my friends are on this group message. We're just talking to each other. I was like, all oh, y'all have cars. I was like, why don't y'all go somewhere? <laughs> yeah. 
I was like, man, when I was your age, we tried to do as much as we could outside and stuff or go anywhere. He's like, but, but we're all, we're all talking to you right here. Like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, you get yelled at by your parents to come in, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, dude's been dark for two hours, you know, and you can't get a kid out of a the house these days. Um, so it's, it's different times, man. They're, they're living through something completely different than what, than how we came up, you know? And it's going to be interesting to see as they grow up, like how that presents, you know, like what kind of people are they going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, you already seen it. Like I'm sure you see uh, 19, 20 year old guys coming into your workforce. You know, we saw it at my old, my old job and like, they're not, they don't make great employees all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't know how to communicate with you. Um, the, the work effort's not really there, you know? Well, it's like, you know, when I'm training these guys, they always ask me at the end of the week, like the company does, like, what do you think? And I'm like, <clears throat> most of the time I just lie. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, cause I, I don't want to be the guy that's, you know, they don't put on a sales route because of me, you know, but like, um, the other day they were like, so what do you really think? And I was like, he really needs to, and this is bad for me saying this cause I, I get like a really awkward. When I'm talking to people too. Sometimes I was like, he really needs to learn how to talk, like be more engaged when he's talking to somebody. Because if he does that, he'll be great. He can use the iPad. Perfect. He can, mm-hmm. he can, you know, he can do all that shit 100%. But like when he needs to get a display in here, he's probably going to be too intimidated to talk to the customer to get it done. Right. And they were like, well, just, just work with him. I'm like, I'm not the one. Like I suck <laughs> at it sometimes too. Like, you know, and they're like, they're like, well, he's going to be with you next week. Make him do it. I'm like, all right. I mean, so but that make me, you ride along? Yeah, like sometimes, you know, to, when, especially when there's new guys. And then like you said, they're all 19. Tw- I'm sorry, they're all from right out of college. So this is how old we are. Yesterday, I went to Target, right, to buy a PS5. Because my guy from the back door told the salesman that they were in. And um, they asked him his birthday because he's buying it. The man said, whatever, 98. The dude was born in 98, y'all. <laughs> That's when we were graduating high school. I know. I know. We get uh, we get a lot of girls, you know, work for my wife's business, and they're all like 18, 19, and, uh, and uh, I'm doing their paperwork, you know, their intake or whatever, and I'm looking at the birthday. I'm going, dude, this chick was born in 96. Like, I can remember exactly what I was doing. <laughs> Do it, yeah. yeah. It's wild. It's, it's weird being the old guys now, yeah. you know. Uh, we're the, we're we're at the age now where we make we're making fun of the people at the you know when we were going out. What's that? What's that thirty five year old doing here? What the fuck? <laughs> like, well, you tell me this because uh, so you know when I quit when I quit DJing, I kind of checked out of the social scene in Memphis. I don't I don't really know what's going on anymore. But like, how is it? It, it looks to me like it's all kind of dying out. It's it's there's a couple places people go, but back to the thing about the kids, they're not going out the they're way we out. used to go. Because like I'll hit up some of the guys that I work with that are y- super young and like, like one guy's name is Nash. I was just talking about, and he was like, "Hey, what are you guys doing this weekend?" They're like, "Oh man, probably." Uh, uh, he's like, "I'm probably just gonna chill." I was like, "Me too." I'm, I kind of wanted to, I want to do my closet this weekend. Is what I said, and uh, he was like, "Well, what are you?" Gonna? And he was like, "I'm probably just gonna play some video games, just chill." I was just thinking, I was like, man, when I was fucking 22, 23 years old, we were fucking going ham. We were raging, dude. And they just, they just don't, and if they do go, they're drinking like liquor and shit, and that's it, and smoking. And that, but like, they don't, I don't think they're going out the way we used to, or else we just too old to notice it, notice it. Yeah. So, like, when, you know, every once in a while we'll pop in somewhere, you know, just like last night I went out, uh, I got a buddy that was in from Tampa, and we went to Wiseacre, but you, like you said, you don't see like young people out. You know, you just see people that 
like our age, mm-hmm. people around town. Uh, it's weird. I think we're probably going to be like the last great generation that, you know, that did it for right. Sure, for sure. Because my nephew and his friends, that he's, uh, he's 18, you know, they are all 18, 19, whatever. They don't, they don't go, they're not trying to buy booze underage and, you know, they just don't do that. Yeah. You know, like, man, that was, that was, that was the fucking Friday night thing. Which one of these stores is going to sell us alcohol? Yeah. Drive to five stores and find one. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. And, and, and like the scene, like here in Memphis, we have a couple, you know, we have, we have lots of bars. We don't have like club clubs, you know, it wasn't a big club down ever. Yeah. But like, um, uh, tin roof, they're packed in there. Like the young people are definitely packed in there. Um, barwares hopping. That's not a good spot. Uh, goose is popping, you know, every now and then sometimes it's dead, dead. Right. But, um, and I like going to Laughlin because there is just chill. Right. You know, you're just chilling. But, you know, if the fire is going, no matter where I fucking stand, the fire, the smoke is going to come right on me. Smoke follows ugly, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That's Get a, the fuck out. That's all. That's all Boy Scout thing. Yeah. And like, you said, know, smoke follows ugly. But like, um, yeah, I mean, I can't think of many places that any of these people are going. And I talked to some of the on-premise guys and I asked them, like, What's what's the what's new what's news opening up soon downtown or midtown? Like I don't remember anything. anything. And if it, it does open up, it's some like, you know, it doesn't last or whatever. But like, man, you're right. They're not going out, bro. No, no, it's totally different. And uh, you know, I understand why people aren't opening things up. I mean, people aren't patronizing what's there, you know. Um, so why would you risk, you know, investing and putting all that work into building something and not know that it's gonna gonna pop off? Uh, anything in the restaurant, club, bar, things always a risk, you know, um, is this going to work? And there's a shelf life to it, you know? So even when it does work, like look at senses, man, they had a great, like what, five year run. Yeah. And then just the long, slow decline, you know? Um, but that was a, that was a hell of a, that was a hell of a time in Memphis too. Yeah. That was, that was a great, man. We had, we had census, we had Atlas, um, one, five, two, it was popping, uh, remember we used to go to Black Diamond too. Then after that, but there was a lot going on. Printers, man. Yeah, <sighs> I remember when you bartended at uh, Fat Tuesday, man. You're responsible for probably one of the drunkest <laughs> nights of my life. That was cool as shit, though, right? <laughs> that was cool as shit. They had, so they had no like. There was one manager and me. I'm supposed to calculate the bouncer, you know, but it's an open up fucking bar in the Peabody place, and it was great because they're like, hey, just. Uh, if people come in, just make them what they want, and you know how to ring it up. I'm like, yeah, okay. And so <laughs> <laughs> I used to hook everybody up, man. I gotta give a fuck, dude. It was like 151 night or something, <laughs> yeah. and this man was plying me so full of Bacardi 151. I still to this day can't even smell that stuff. That shit's rough. <laughs> oh god. It was called the high octanes, and you could get the high octane, and then you could get the little uh, flasks. yeah, the cherry bombs too. Yeah, the cherry bomb, man. Though, and I forgot, I forgot I worked there. I was I was so drunk that night. I managed to scrape myself together and make it to work. And I walked in and my boss goes, "You're not taking a company vehicle." Off the <laughs> I sat in the office all day, dude. I must have just reeked. Yeah, uh, I remember that used to happen to me and John Harris when we worked at uh, Abercrombie together. We would be out all fucking night, show up to work, They're like God, just just go to the stock room and stock, you know, like <laughs> go 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 put tag the little. Um, what are they called? Those little, so people can't steal shit. Oh, the security tags. Six security tags. Yeah. You know, like, go put those on the clothes. Go help the bats in the back. I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, like, we would just reek, man. 
I can't do it anymore. I, I think we had like had four or five beers last night. We went to Wiseacre and then we went to Brookhaven, which hadn't been in Brookhaven in years. I love it. Yeah, I love. I mean, you know, the tree was pretty cool, but look how much awesomer it is now oh, without yeah. the tree there. You know, in the covered porch, mm-hmm. like it's nice, man. It's nice, and you always go there and run into somebody. You know, you know. Yeah, yeah. So how did you become a DJ? Um. I, I always just loved music, man. I was a huge music fan. I grew up, played piano, uh, played trumpet, and then um, I got introduced. I, I was really into like electronic music, young, like not early nineties, ninety two, ninety three, ninety one. Chemical Brothers, you know, um, um, and it was kind of funny because none of my friends were into it. You know, I went to Christian Brothers and I hung out with you, Raul, and and those circles. Nobody was into dance music, but. Uh, I always liked it, and then I uh, learned how to spin records in like the late '90s, and uh, I played a bunch of college, and um, and I don't know, it just kind of evolved into a thing. And then uh, early 2000s, um, I got the the gig at Senses. Mark got Mark brought me in to do uh, dance music in the orange orange room, basically everything outside of the main room. Uh, I played, and then uh, kind of developed a really cool like electro house style that I got known for, and I started getting some really cool bookings and. Got to play some some fun gigs, man. I, I loved it. Uh, I still to this day kind of wish I had something I could go do like once a month, but I don't miss the the four o'clock in the morning lifestyle at all. You are really you you are a really good DJ, man. And I I remember when you told me I, I think it was at Silly Goose. You're like, ah, I think I'm done, man. I think I think maybe next weekend's my last weekend, or <laughs> it was something like that. And I was like, what? This place will never be the same. And he was like, man, I'm just really like you were like I'm just tired of it, bro. I'm just. You just, see the see the same people. You're playing the same room every night. And like the fun thing about DJing was when you did get to go tour and get to play new places, see new faces, uh, uh, experience a whole new you know um, vibe somewhere. You know, but yeah, when you're beating the same room to death, you know, twice a week for years, it 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 kind of plays on you a little bit. You know, so when I was done, I knew it. Um, I was already super busy. I was working fifty, sixty hours a week at work. I was helping my wife build her business, and then. I was coming home, just ruined on the weekends. And my wife was like, like, I don't mind that you do this, but you've got to be awake when you're home, you know, and spending time with the family and everything. So it just, you know, it, it finally just played itself out. And I was like, I, I had to give something up. Something had to go. And that, that, that ended up being it. So how did you learn in the 90s? Um, I had a buddy named Eric that uh, that taught me, actually. Really? Um, he, he, knew how to, he knew how to spin and mix. And um I uh, just bought some records, man. I started playing with him, and I picked it up really quick. You know, I already had a pretty good musical foundation, understood time, and um, and so it wasn't hard, mm. you know. Um, but it was it was interesting starting back then because you know you had to carry credit records to a gig, yeah. you know, and like what's lost now is that you know uh, these new DJs, uh, the computer does all the work for you. You know, it beat matches everything. Uh, uh, not to, you know, shit on the new guys or anything like that. It's just, that's the technology now. I don't blame anybody for using it, you know, but back in the day there was kind of like a, a dark art to it, you know, like mm-hmm. everybody didn't understand how to, how to mix, you know, and how to use that pitch fader on a Technus 1200 and, and get everything synced up and matched up and drop in the right time. And, um, so it was a lot more specialized back then, you know, there was, a there was, a uh, an entry, a barrier to entry, you know, like you had to spend the money on the records. I mean, a record costs you 10, 12 bucks, oh, you know, wow. for one or two songs, you know, you might only like the A side and you had to have really expensive equipment. You know, the turntables were $600 a piece, even Damn. back then. 
you know, and the mixers were thousands of dollars. So like everybody that thought they were a DJ, you know, couldn't do it, you know, and now everybody thinks they're a DJ can do it. And, um, and that kind of, that kind of spoiled the pool in Memphis, you know, like we have some really talented people that have been playing for a long time and, you know, tree. Yeah. Um, um, and, uh, it, you know, a bar owner is going to go with the best value. You know, if there's a guy that shows up and says, man, I'll play for drinks, you know, they're going to, they're going to roll with that dude, you know? Um, and unfortunately, like in Memphis, you know, a lot of the clubs and bar owners weren't willing to spend the money to get quality people in that we're going to do quality programming and, you know, really make something, um, unique, you know, they're just going to get the the guy that's going to sling some tunes and take free drinks. You know, they don't want to pay that 200, $300 night shift money, you know? So how hard was it to read the room? Um, I think that's something you learn, you mm-hmm. know, over time, like, um, I mean, you got to kind of warm up the crowd and build up, build up the atmosphere into what you're going for. You know, I was a dance music guy, so I was always like trying to do really relatable things, uh, early on, you know, and then once you get the energy level, a certain, uh, to a certain point, you can just start dropping bombs and then the whole place goes, you know? And kind of once you get it there, like you're you're good, man. You just coast all night and just keep keep throwing them. Um, so when when are you gonna come out? When are you come out of retirement? <laughs> I think I'm retired, man. <laughs> <laughs> I keep a small setup at home. Every once in a while, I bust out some old, you know, jungle. Really? Yeah, I'll hell st- yeah. Oh, you said jungle? Oh uh, yeah. I, nice. So I started out playing like techno house and uh, drum and bass mm-hmm. uh, jungle, and uh, so it's fun to pull out the old records, man, and kind of go back in time and do a little set for yourself, you know. And, just remember records. It's funny. Like I can pull a record out and look at the label and know exactly I can play the song in my head. Just looking at the label, you know? Wow. Really? And, uh, that's kind of lost with digital files, you know, like when you've got a list of a thousand songs, you know, um, there was something really cool about holding a piece of music in your hands, you know? And yeah. When you were at goose, did you use the actual records or did you use digital? No. So I, I, I transitioned, um, um, actually right after, uh, that last tour in uh, Columbia, I was, um, so when I first started at senses, I was on vinyl. Okay. Um, we, and we had that really cool, um, Red Bull. Yeah. I remember that DJ booth. Yeah. That, that they got. And, um, you know, it set the turntables down into the booth. It was, it was a slick setup. So I started out playing vinyl there and, uh, that's when like digital files were, you know, MP3s were happening, you know, the early two thousands. And, uh, so the first, like iteration of digital, if you didn't want to be on CDJs, was uh, they had a thing called Final Scratch, and it was like a time code record. It just had this computer sound that wound up through the record, and so you could needle drop on the record, and it would match the the sound file up, right? So you could literally digitally layer a song onto a blank piece of vinyl, and um, that's where I started. And then um, I took that on tour, and I was playing a nightclub in Bogota, just going off at like four in the morning. And my computer just took a shit on me mid set. So <laughs> I've got this whole room going and then just, psh, and like, that's the most awkward moment in the world. And you have like <laughs> hundreds of people looking at you like, dude, you just ruined this man. You know? So, uh, I came home and, uh, ended up going to, I bought a set of CDJs, the, um, one thousands MK threes. And, uh, then I started playing on CDJs and, uh, and then like I finally broke down and bought a Mac, you know, it's a much more stable, uh, computer. And then I kind of got back into digital, but I always had a hybrid setup. Like when I was at goose, I had, uh, had a CDJ 2000 system. So if something screwed up my computer. I go right into discs. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, 
something corrupted right mid set or something. So I was like, I'm never going to have that happen to me again. It was super embarrassing. But uh, so do you think a lot of people just mix music beforehand and just play what they have on? They're not actually doing anything while they're up there. Um, you know, a lot of like big producers have been accused of that. Yeah. You know, uh, cause they don't have a background in DJing. They've got a background in music production. And so a lot of those guys lean on, um, Oh God, what is it? Ableton, mm. you know, and in Ableton, you can go in and kind of pre-structure your entire set, plug all the songs in and you'll see them back there, like hit, hit a button, you know? And I'm like, dude, yeah. you're not doing anything, you know? <laughs> There's a DJ that we all know that, um, here in town that he, we used to do that. Like he would have, like he would know as soon as the band went off, he would push play. He would bounce from there, go party with everybody, come back because he had a timer. You know, he knew the time. He'd have like a thirty minute. Yeah, so then he and then he'd come back, <laughs> pretend he was doing some shit up there, watch the band play, do lights, then bounce again. Like, dude, he did this for four years there, I think. Yeah, and they never said anything to him. No, people get away with some incredible bullshit, man. But. uh you know, every good DJ, if you've done it long enough, you have uh, you have some little premix like mm-hmm. like a two or three song thing, so you can go take a, a bathroom break or go grab a drink. You know, um, but uh, I was never a fan of like going into a night with uh, a premix set. Like it just didn't make sense to me because like you might not have the crowd that wants wants that. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. if you can't bend the material to the room, then like you're stuck. You're stuck with what you got. You know, um, I don't feel like it ever works out good. You know, and. Uh, that's part of the part of the skill and the art is knowing your content and uh, being able to change, you know, because you might have a, a whole different group of people come in that want a totally different style of music, you know. And if you're locked into this set that you dreamed up at home and pictured in your head, like that's what you're riding with for the night, you know, uh, and it may not work. Usually doesn't. What do you think about all the influencers that are becoming DJs now? Um, you know, we saw that we saw that shit back in the night or in the 2000s, too, you know, like. Everybody that was on a reality TV show, like Paris Hilton used to DJ, you know. She still does. She still does, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, I I think that bothered a lot of DJs because it's like, why are you paying that person that money? You know, like, um, but. Is it, it kind of cheapen it? I think it cheapens it, you know. And to me, it looks like kind of like with Jake Paul trying to be a boxer. It's like um, you have real boxers that have been doing this forever, and you got somebody that has a name that's able to just kind of skip the line because they have eyeballs on them. And I get it. People want to make money, but there's also some skill that comes along with with Charles craft for sure. And I mean, that that person's taking the place of somebody that's trying to work. Yeah. You know, that's put in the time and and uh, and earned it, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, just because you're an influencer, you got a reality show or something like that. You get the shot, you know, you get my job for the night. Yeah, I definitely don't think uh, Paris is actually up there mixing, mixing, you know, making shit match. She's probably just (laughs) fucking up there hovering, you know, someone's already pushed play and it's going. But like, I mean, she's been doing it a long time. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but like. I could be wrong, too. I've never seen her play. Yeah. um, But like she, I saw a TikTok actually the other day and she was at some club. I heard Shaq's a good DJ. Yeah. Have you seen the videos of him, you know, dropping at his house with his kids just jumping around? Uh -uh. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, I've seen a couple of videos of him, like, at a club actually playing. But, yeah, I heard he's really good. I can't imagine seeing Shaq DJ, dude, walking I in. Mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, oh, man. Yeah, that's wild, man, that you uh, – so where are some of the places you travel to outside of Columbia? Is that one of the first international trips or – Yeah, that was definitely my first international trip. I'd um, 
I've been working with the kid when I was at Senses, uh, and he was Colombian, so we kind of had the plug. Oh, okay. And um, oh my God, what was that guy's name? JP. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he's up in New York. You know, he moved uh, shortly after that, after the Census thing kind of petered out, and um, I think he's still going at it, man. I don't, I don't, talk, I haven't talked oh, to him in okay. years. But uh, yeah, man, we would go down like Quito, Ecuador. Oh shit! It was really funny. Like uh, I was with uh, a couple of buddies up in Nashville like two years ago. And um, we were on a rooftop in this whole group of Ecuador uh, people from Quito, Ecuador were, were there. And we just started talking. I'm like, where are y'all from? You know, and they're like, we're from Quito. I was like, oh, yeah, man, I played there. I was like, you know, Macondo. And they just they look blown away. They were like, how do you know about Macondo? You know, and I'm like, dude, I used to play there. So um, that was it was a cool experience, man. Like, um, that's the best way to see a country is like being immersed, like being with the people, you know, and like get to go to the cool little uh, restaurants, the little halls, the little hideouts, you know, and um, see it from that level. So met some really cool people, you know. Um, but, yeah, I loved it, man. Um, had a couple sketchy sketchy run-ins in Columbia. But, uh, yeah, that place is – if you don't know the right people, man, it's not good to go down there by yourself. No. Even if you do know the right people, you can run into some bad times. Oh, yeah. Big group is probably the best, right? I mean, big, yeah, big group. Like, doesn't hurt. Maybe like five, maybe six, seven, eight bros or whatever, or whatever. Like, I don't think I would travel to like a country like Colombia by myself. I'd probably go missing. How, do, how, how, how many people went with you guys? Um, I think there's 11. 12, 11? 11 12. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you're probably not going to get messed with with a group of 12 dudes like that. But, uh, I mean, they tell you don't be flashy. And, um, one night we were flashy or some people that were in, it seemed like uh, people were zoning in on, well, look at these dumb Americans. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is that we were at the club? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- y'all throwing some money around? or We were sitting behind the DJ. And um, <laughs> fucking buddy of ours was like popping like a bottle and spraying beer everywhere. I mean, it's just, you're just looking for attention. Man. Oh, yeah. You can't do that shit. Because like they even said, like when you go out, don't dress up. Just wear like a t-shirt and fucking shorts. Well, they're not going to get you there. They're going to get you when you're leaving. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you got to watch it. Uh, I played this nightclub and um, uh, did my DJ set. And then uh, my partner was on after me. And so like just taking pictures, you know, inside the club, like it was a cool, it looked like a giant like cave. Mm. Uh, this club did the inside was done like a cave. And uh, so I'm like taking pictures, you know, to get, get some cool pictures of the tour. And uh, these two guys walk up to me and they're like, they keep saying, you know, something in Spanish about photograph. My Spanish is pretty rough, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, uh, y'all want to take a picture, you know? So I like, put my arm around these dudes, and they fucking pull guns and put guns in my face. And I'm oh, like, oh, shit. shit, you know? And uh, they wanted my camera. Apparently, the guy that owned the club was a big drug lord, and I'd, oh, I'd accidentally gotten a picture of him in the crowd. Wow. And uh, so my buddy jumps off stage, and he's talking to him in Spanish, and, and he's like, hey, man, just give him your camera. And I'm like, yeah, here you go, bro. You know, gave him the camera. They went through it, and they deleted all the pictures that he was in. Give me back the camera. But, like... You know, shit can go sideways real quick in a country like that, you know. Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people don't realize that what our rules here don't apply there. No. You're just a you're just a piece of shit down there. They don't give a fuck about you. No. Like, fuck, man. That's scary, man. Yeah. So it makes for a good story now. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm never coming back to this city ever again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to be on your P's and Q's down there, man, for sure. But uh, it's a beautiful country, man. Did y'all go up into the hills or anything? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Like I said, during the daytime, it was just way too hot, man, when we were down there. I heard Medellin is like the best. Like it's what they used to call it, like Eternal Spring or whatever. 
That's where we were supposed to go. But then some of the guys were like, hey, let's go to Cartagena and go to the beach instead. And we're like, all right, cool, whatever. And the only people that actually left the house besides going to like the clubs and stuff was myself, Tony, Nick, and Eubank, and Twitch, John. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, which was really surprising. I didn't think he was going to be able to go because of work and shit. Yeah. But like. Um, <clears throat> and he's married. <laughs> That's the ultimate guy for me. <laughs> And like um, we we went we had fun that day we went we went to that fortress thing then we went to the beach, but like the people that were talking about going to the beach didn't even fucking go to the beach really like, yeah they just laid around the house <laughs> yeah yeah Cartagena is cool I mean you're right there on the coast but mm-hmm. like the uh, beautiful parts of Colombia I thought were like like you said up in Medellin getting up into the hills and like Cali was the city where I had that bad experience oh, and okay. we and they call that the desert it was hot as hell you know and I kind of knew that shit wasn't real good when we, when we flew into the city, you know, and like as soon as you like are leaving the airport, there's like dudes everywhere with machine guns. And I was like, you know, you didn't see that like in Bogota or uh, some of the other areas. And I was like, okay, it's a little crustier on this side, you know? And, uh, but had some cool experiences. We went up into the mountains there and like ate at this open air restaurant, you know, and they're bringing you, they've got plantains hanging from the walls. There's no walls on the restaurants, just like big bundles of plantains and like, the clouds were blown through the restaurant. Like you're sitting oh, there like that is really cloud. cool, man. Yeah. Had some pretty dope experiences. Um, I had one other like sketchy thing. We were flying from, um, Quito to, uh, I think we we're going to Bogota that day. And, uh, we flew to this city called Tolkien. Um, and like there's one jet flight a day and we're on it. Right. And so it was the first city we were landing in. So we had to do customs. So, we're, we're dropping down out of the clouds into this city and it looks like it's all shantytown, dude. It looked like Rio, you know, mm. just shantytown going on the mountains or whatever. And I'm like, bro, it's rough here, you know? So we land and they literally have to turn the jet around to take it off the other direction, but they make everybody get off. And, uh, we go through customs. Everything's all good, dude. Get right back on the plane. They're about to take off and the plane just stops on the runway. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, these two dudes jump on board, you know, uh, and they come right to our seat. And they, they start yelling. They're like, y'all got to get off. Like, you don't have the right ticket. And we're like, what are you talking about, man? Like, here's our tickets. Oh, you don't have the yellow copy. And I looked at my buddy. I'm like, you better tell those motherfuckers to go get your gun if you're going to get me off this plane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting stuck in this shantytown all night, you know? No. Like, oh, dude, it would have been bad. <laughs> you almost went missing, man. <laughs> like, geez. Wow. Yeah, so, I'm sure they'll, they'll try to shake you down for a lot of money. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mexico's the same way. You've been to TJ. You can get in trouble down there too. Damn, man. It's, yeah, like I said, it going to another country is a great experience, but there are a lot of like pitfalls that can come along with it, especially if it's a third world country. Yeah. And, and like you said, like try to move smart, like don't be flashy, don't be, you know, just melt into the background. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you do stand out, mm-hmm. you know, especially um, when you talk. Yeah. When you talk, they know. It's like, uh, they're like, yeah, you're definitely not from here. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can see you. You know, like, no, even like when I went to Africa. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. Where'd you go in Africa? I went to Tanzania. Oh, cool. Yeah. And like I said, they, that to me, that was one of the poorest countries I've ever been to. And that made me have like, like kind of like guilt for being there, which was just, it's, it's like you're lucky enough to go there, but then you're like, fuck, man, like you see how these people are living and you get back here and you're like, why is anybody complaining that lives here? Right. I just saw people living in a mud hut. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
It's like, fuck. Did man. you go like on a mission trip or did you go on no, safari? No, safari. Uh, yeah, cool. I went with a couple of buddies. We went during uh, 2020, actually, which was perfect for traveling because the planes were empty. Nobody was All our resorts were pretty much empty. So that was pretty cool, but. Do you think seeing how poor it was there, like how really poor it was, that it like affected your trip? Like you were like, man, I don't, I don't I'm not gonna enjoy myself. Did did you enjoy yourself less because of that? You think? No, I mean there was other factors, but uh, like I said, it's just it's just a reset. It just makes you realize how you should be appreciative of what we have. And I don't think enough people are. Just, I was watching this video last night actually of this. People, they have a little girl that has cancer. They're at St. Jude. And they were supposed to go to Peabody for, like, Thanksgiving dinner. And I guess the little girl was not feeling well, so they decided they, they called the Peabody and said, hey, can we cancel the our reservation? And Peabody's like, sure. Well, anyways, the Peabody ended up, like, setting them up with, like, a whole big meal and stuff like that. And the people were like, oh, this is so fucking awesome. You know, this is a really good thing that people here in Memphis are doing. But like watching that video, it's like these people are trying to do everything to keep their kid alive. And then there's people that hear that just take their life for granted, not doing anything with their fucking life. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I think that's what I think a lot of people need to see a perspective of somebody else before they can realize how good we have it sometimes. Because, you know, so some of these countries that we've been talking about, there's no government assistant. If you're poor, you're fucking poor. Yeah. There's no food stand, you know, whatever programs the government offers like. And that's, you know, that's one thing my parents, people used to ask my parents all the time, like, what's life like in South Africa, you know? <clears throat> and they were like, you know, they would always tell them, like, you know, like, you're in America, if you, if you're not, if you need assistance with something, you can probably get it. There, I, I don't, we don't know how it is now, because we haven't been there in over almost 30 years. But like there, if you were, if you needed something, you, you were relying on your neighbors, your family, or your friends, right? That you couldn't. Go to the government and say, hey, I need money to feed my kid or whatever. And they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't offer those programs. No. And I think the biggest difference, like if you've been to a poor country like that, if you're born poor, you die, you die poor. And that's the biggest uh, that's the biggest blessing about America is that like my wife's an immigrant. She came over here when she was nine and lived in a refugee camp in Thailand for five years, you know, in a tent before coming here. And I mean, she's the. She's the American story to me, you know, like she came over here with nothing. Her family came over here with nothing and they've all built, you know, a great life for themselves because we have opportunity here. And in Vietnam, you know, you're a poor farmer. Like there's no educational opportunity. There's no business opportunity. Um, there's no way to further yourself or, or get yourself out of that, um, out of that system, you know, and here everything's opportunity, man. It's just what you, what you want to make of it. Do you want to put in, do you want to hustle and, and get the, you know, put in the work, you can make it here, you know, and, and that's not the case everywhere else in the world. And I think that's lost on a lot of people that are born here. You know, they don't, they don't understand that, that like, all you got to do is try, man, and put in the work and you can be something here, you know, but the rest of the world, most of the rest of the world that you don't have that opportunity, you know? Yeah. I think that's like the beautiful, beautiful thing about like that whole immigrant mindset. Where it's like they know what they came from, like especially like if you're you came here and your parents risked life, life and limb to get here, you're gonna want to do the most with it, I would assume. But like some people, I guess, like I said, especially Americans, just you know we, we haven't experienced that hardship. True, know? true hardship. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying there's not people here that don't go without food, but I mean for the most part, like everybody's got electricity, clean, clean running water, access to food. You know what I mean? And 
uh, and a free education, you know, yeah. if you want to argue whether you get a better education in one area or another, I mean, you can have that debate, but, um, you do have those opportunities, you know, uh, and it's sad to see people not take advantage of it. And, um, but yeah, uh, you don't, you don't see that in immigrants, man. They come over here and they're like, Oh my God, you know, I can, I can have something here. Yeah. Yeah. There's this guy that just came from Cuba. Like he got his first job. He works at UPS as a courier, I think. And his wife um, uh, recorded him opening his first check. Like, you know, it's like the blank one, you know, like because it's direct deposit probably. And like it said how much he made and he showed it. He said, apparently that's more money than he would have made in two years. In Cuba. In Cuba. Then he made on his first check here in the States working for UPS. Yeah, man. That's why people are willing to die to get here, man. And he was so fucking happy. Like this, uh, just a job at UPS made him so happy. Yeah. Just being able to have a job. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing. Like people that came from other countries and stuff like that. Like my parents worked for somebody at a little store they had here in Birmingham and then ended up buying the store, you know, and then like they're going to do the work. Like if, 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 if the American doesn't want to do the work, there's going to be somebody coming over. That's going to do the, whether they get the year legally or not, the work's going to get done. That's right. So do you think your wife had that Ari instilled in her or did her parents instill that in her? Uh, man, my wife's different, dude. She's, she's just a hammer. She's got that. She's got an insane work ethic. Yeah. And, um, I've, I've never met anybody like her. It's one of the most attractive things about her is, you know, like, um, She's just an awesome person. So I'm very, very fortunate to have her. She's a little mad at me this morning because she went to run the St. Jude and I didn't come watch the podcast. <laughs> oh, so I'm in trouble. But uh, but no, my wife's awesome. Um, she's just an impressive person. That's um, awesome, man. But yeah, her family works just as hard, man. Um, and she's got a brother and a sister. And uh, they work with her. And um, everybody's great, man. I think there's a big difference between like a first-generation immigrant and second generation, you know what I mean? Um, so I think when you've come here and you've seen what it's like somewhere else and what nothing looks like it, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a, that's a real, that's a real thing, man. Cause like I said, just the little peak I had is enough for me to be like, fuck, (laughs) there's nothing to bitch about, you know? Cause like that could be in my life. Say like, well, you know, there had been a lot of factors like, <laughs> to free the land in Tanzania. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, you know, if I were to look, I, I joked about it, but I was like, I'm glad my people got taken because <laughs> I wouldn't want to live there, man. Yeah. It's poor, man. It's bad. It is really fucking bad. It, like, there's places that have no electricity. Like, so the water, the water is one of the worst things. Like, so it makes get, people sick. Yeah. I got sick a little bit when I was there because I, Got absent minded and brushed my teeth. And I was like, as, fuck, man. As soon as we landed, as soon as we got to the Airbnb in Colombia, the first thing I did, I grabbed a glass out of the, the thing and poured me water because it was so fucking hot. And everyone was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing, bro? I was like, what? They're like, you can't drink the water. I'm like, oh, fuck, that's right. Theirs wasn't as bad. But Africa, you definitely can't drink the water there, man. They're like, they're like, if you start feeling sick, just go to your room and you know throw up or something. I yeah. don't know what I'm supposed to do, but like, oh, it's I'm, coming out the other end. Oh, really? That's how it comes. Generally, so you got sick. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and then I was on safari, so there's so nowhere like, to go to the bathroom. Now, so I, I wouldn't eat because I didn't want to have to shit. Yeah, that's. And I was like, oh my god, because I woke up one night and I was like, oh man, my stomach's bothering me. So it's bad enough to get sick. 
out in the field like that and not have a toilet or anything. But like when you're in Tanzania, you might get eaten by a lion. You know? lion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell us what the, tell us what your little tour guide. Tell me. <laughs> they, they follow you with a gun. I mean, they come out there with you. Oh, so no, we, <laughs> we stay at a bunch of like nice places, but um, we stayed at a glamping place. It was like a glorious glorified tent, but. Um, or glamorous tent, whatever you want to call it. But we're sitting there, and like to go. This is where I actually got sick. Was at that tent place, and they're like to go to eat at the the dinner hall. We had to walk to the place, but it's in the middle of the wilderness, you know, or whatever the fucking safari. And they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna have a guide come get you." The fucking guide comes with a fucking flashlight and a stick, and you can hear lions in the distance <laughs> roaring. Yeah, and it's like. What the fuck's a stick gonna do? <laughs> but luckily, I'm still here. But uh, maybe buy you enough time to run a little faster. <laughs> hey, so one, one, of the, one, one of the episodes recorded, I go, the, 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 I was like, the animal is conditioned to be afraid of the stick. No, it they're, like, they're like, they're like, everyone goes, why don't you go out there with a fucking stick and see what happens? Yeah, go fight an 800 pound lion with a stick. Give me a break. Man, I saw I saw a lion get fucked up by uh, Cape Buffalo. I think it's what it's called. Flipped it up in the air. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, dude, Africa's. Oh, while you were there, no, I thought maybe no, on a video. No, no, this is on video. Oh yeah, dude, it's fucking was... lawless out there, man. Yeah, that's true. Wild. My my dad's been a couple times. He keeps trying to tell us to go on safari. He's like, man, if y'all wait much longer, the animals are going to be gone. You know. I think it's but, definitely worth going to see it once. Yeah, that's yeah. on my list. I haven't been to Africa yet. Um, uh, done Asia and Europe and stuff. You know, but uh, I'd, I'd love to go to Africa. Did um, you DJ in Europe? I mean, Asia? Mm-mm. Or just for fun or travel? Yeah, just went. Yeah, I went to uh, Thailand. I was. Oh, I want to go there. It's on top of my list. Bangkok's freaking bananas, dude. I saw some things you can't unsee. <laughs> <laughs> my buddy's over there right now, actually. Beautiful beaches, too, everywhere. But uh, it was interesting, like all the Buddhist culture. Mm. And like we, we went uh, from Thailand to Bhutan. Oh, okay. Up in the Himalayas. And like the differences in the Buddhist culture between uh, the Thai in the in uh Bhutan. Yeah. Bhutan was amazing, man. Like everybody there is like a sustenance farmer. Like there's no jobs other than like farmer, some kind of artisan, you know, like people just work. It's mm-hmm. it's the most chill place I've ever been. Like everybody looks happy and content. You know, nobody has any kind of technology. I mean, they didn't even build roads in that country until like the fifties. Oh wow, really? Uh the so the Indians, um th- they don't have any like skilled laborers, you know, like they don't have electricians and stuff like that, you know. So the Indians actually came in and built all their highways into the country. There was no roads in Bhutan until the wow. 50s. And uh, there's wild marijuana everywhere. Like when really? you're driving down. Oh, yeah. When you're driving down the road, it's just like like hedges, you know, on the road of marijuana. And uh, our guide was telling us, you know, like so when the Indians came in to build our roads, the road workers were, would smoke marijuana and they would, you know, the joints or whatever off the side of the road and so they've introduced that seed into the environment mm-hmm. now there's just wild marijuana everywhere that's, that's awesome man. <laughs> i did not know that and they're like yeah nobody smokes it here you know we're not allowed to but uh <laughs> <laughs> wow but what's your favorite country you've been to that was pretty damn interesting was it yeah um you know Going into the, we got to go to a lot of like cool temples and they've got these things. Uh, so Bhutan had like seven areas. Um, they're ruled by different, um, I wouldn't call it warlords, but you know, they had seven big, they're called zongs and they're these big forts uh, here. I'll show you a picture. Um, but just like the, um, the wood carving, like everything is 
carved from wood and then hand painted. Oh like, shit! And like when you look at the temples, like you know, damn. Oh, that's beautiful. That's like all done by hand. Damn. Um, Humans are amazing, man. And it's all flawless. Like they keep it up. Yeah. So like that's what people do for work. Like they keep these temples painted and in good condition. And I mean, these things are like thousands of years old. So that's one of the biggest Buddhas in the world. It was like oh, 160 shit. feet. Wow. Uh, so that was that was a really interesting place to go. Um, we went to uh, Turkey and Greece over the summer and took our kids. Um, I mean, it shows you how big that. Thing oh is. shit! Damn. Yeah, that's awesome. You're getting your kids' culture too, man. Man, it's it like like you know, it's good for people to see the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, Turkey was really interesting. I'd always want to go to Istanbul. You know, uh, changed hands. Like it's also really cool to be able to like drive from Europe to Asia. Like mm. Istanbul exists on both con- both continents, split by the Bosphorus oh, Strait. Cool. Yeah, so you go have lunch in Europe and then drive over <laughs> and like see something in Asia. Um, this is pretty funny. This is a fertility temple in Bhutan. There's just penises like drawn on everything, <laughs> 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 and so apparently a lot of uh, people that are having fertility problems will will travel to that, mm. and uh, they'll make a donation to the monks in that temple. And they give the woman this giant orange wooden penis. It's like this big. I saw him doing it when I was there. And they, they have to walk around the temple like seven times holding this giant penis. And it was it was hilarious just watching people walk around this big wow. wooden dick, you know, walking around the temple. But uh, it, it was it was a unique place, man. Still ruled by a king. They have a king and a queen. The king looks like like Elvis. He's got big long really sideburns. <laughs> yeah, damn. Um, and uh, our tour guide was telling us the the old king, he just like decided to retire like in his 50s. He was like tired of ruling, you know, handed it down to his son. And he's like, yeah, man, you're running to the king. Like we'll be hiking in the mountains and he'll come by on us mountain bike and give you like a fit Fitbit, you know, like he's really into, <laughs> <laughs> he's really into health and stuff. But I, I, the most interesting thing about that country was that uh, you can tell like the, the the leaders of the country, the king and the queen, they really care about the people like, you mm. know. Uh, as an example, you know, I mean, the king's like wants everybody to be healthy and fit, and he's giving yeah. people Fitbits and encouraging buying people mountain bikes and stuff, you know, to go out and do things. And um, it's kind of cool to see that, you know, it's a small country. I, I don't know how many people live there, but probably no more than like eight hundred thousand, I would think. But that you can have that that big of a society that there's still that level of uh, of care, yeah. you know, and connection with the people because uh, we certainly don't have that here, you know. What do you think it's going to take for us to get to that? Do you think there's going to be like, has to be an attack or like some outside aliens come in? <laughs> I mean, what is it going to be before people realize that we're all human and we need to work together? Um, I don't know. Need you to know. get rid of social media? I mean, because people have been divisive all the time. So I don't think social media, I think it amplifies it. Or we hear about those loud people more. So I don't understand why we as people like we're supposed to be like the United States, but we're so fucking divided, so divided. And uh, but I think it's beneficial to have people divided, you know, and uh, I think there's a lot of people that want to divide you in a lot of different ways for their their motivations, you know. Um, and I think it, it it's going to take everybody just like rejecting that, you know, and saying like, oh, I'm not going to allow you to bait me into this and get upset about this. Like, I know who my neighbor is. You know, this guy opens the door for me every day. He's a different color, you yeah. know. But, you know, we're both humans. We both have an understanding. I'm not going to allow somebody from the outside to come in and tell me yeah. that that guy hates me or that I hate him because that's just not the case. And I think there's a lot of that, a yeah. lot of fan in the flames. And like you said, like social media really puts a spotlight on um, maybe sometimes the most extreme 
uh, side of a side, mm-hmm. you know, and then they like to paint everybody with the same brush. And it's like, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, even like the parties are man-made bullshit. Yeah. So it's like, why are you getting upset about something that somebody made up over a hundred years ago? Well, I, I just don't, I hate all this left and right yeah. and Democrat and Republican stuff. I'm like, if you're going to come to me and tell me that your scumbag's better than mine, like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like re- recognize there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of crap on both sides. You yeah. know, don't try to sell me that this side's better than the other. So, uh, everybody needs, in my opinion, everybody needs to understand none of them are really working for the American people. They're no. working for their own financial gain. Yeah. They're working for corporate interests. Yep. It's now, I saw, I saw this thing yesterday. Uh, and now it's, now they're going with the American or Democrat like pitch, you oh, know, really? like, yeah. Now you either American or not, like you're American or Democrat. Yeah. You know, like, and if people on this post were like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm 100% American, you know, <laughs> this and that. And like people are arguing, I'm like, this is great. Don't get my popcorn, you know, like, Oh, it's gotten so nasty, man. Like, I, I really hope Trump doesn't run again. You know, he was just too divisive, man. But I think, uh, the people in his party are like, not going to support him like as much they did originally. Well, they didn't want him the first time. They just, they had to take him. you know, best option. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I look back at the last few elections and I'm like, that's the best we can do. Like those are the best people we can put put forward, you know? Um, I saw this clip. It's kind of long, but I want to play it for y'all real quick. But this guy like is talking about exactly what we're saying. Like I'm a big Gary V fan. I love his content, but he said that like how like, Everybody's like choosing this bullshit. But people buy into it. People participate in it, you know. Um, Joe Rogan talks about it all the time that that uh, that tribal mentality, you know, everybody yeah. wants to be a part of a group. And now it's my side against yours. And because I think most people are probably in the middle. I think left or right. I think most people are. But here, let me play this real quick. I always tell people we're so far down on the totem pole. Or it doesn't even matter which side we go with. We just need to be nice to each other. Right. Right. Because like what we're saying doesn't change anything, but your neighbor, you should know you be friends with your neighbors and shit. And that, that was kind of my it's point good. about like, I'm just fucking done with this shit. Like, uh, as you know, I've been making green screens where I talk over a headline and hopefully add some value. I hope, I hope it brings you some value, but like, I'm just walking here at the airport. I had just to pull over and fucking film this shit because I was fucking getting heated because every fucking headline the team's sharing with me and when I go in looking for it's fucking negative selling fear fucking trying to upset people it's one thing to be thoughtful and try to educate it's a whole other thing to just like trigger and fucking upset people I've been in Miami for two days at our Basel doing business and just running into a lot of people and just like the love I'm getting is so humbling and you can just almost feel like people are fucking relieved. It's not even like that they even fucking like me. It's just that they're fucking relieved that some fucking human on earth is willing to talk a little bit about something that's practical and positive at the same time. I'm not on some delusional shit here. I'm on some practical fucking positivity. Fucking the world is fucking peddling some straight fucking anxiety. Fuck. Stop listening to this shit. Everybody's like, us versus them, and this is that, and fucking, they're against you, and this person's fucking you up. Like, fuck. Shit. You fucking assholes peddling fucking fear and anger. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely right, because everything you see on the news or whatever is 
don't go out. This is happening. You know, they never talk about all the good stuff happening, especially in this city. They always talking about burnouts, people drag racing on two on the interstate, uh, all the killings. You know, but they don't want to talk about the, all the good things people are doing. You know, if it, if this is lawless, the whole the whole city would kill itself. Oh yeah. But it's obviously there's only a there's a small group causing all the chaos. Well, and, instead of looking at the people doing it, look at the people who are allowing it to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But there, there is, I think the media loves to focus on the negative. You know, it's a, it's easy way to, people get controlled by fear. Yeah, you know? fear is currency. So. It's sad. It really is sad. Because like I said, I think we as people are most inherently good. But like I said, it just highlighted a lot of the, the shittiness. And like I said, that can give people anxiety and make them not want to leave the house. I mean, like... Honestly, I've never thought about acts of violence as much as I have in the last year or so right. when I go out in public. But that's because I'm seeing it, you know, all the time. Yeah. So you were talking about what's it going to take, like getting off social media, and I, th- that might be it. You know, uh, I'm, social media. That's I don't like being on it. I feel like when I'm on it, I feel bad. Mm. You know, like when I scroll through and read about everything that's going on, like it doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. You know what I mean. Like you see a lot of people imploding on social media and airing out all their dirty laundry on. It's like, I don't want to see that, man. Like that's your private business, you know, like, um, so there's too much focus on the negative. I think every time I, I get like that, I just try to remember like when I go to the grocery store, you know, like, and people smile at me and I'll walk, when I walk by, you know, mm. or somebody holds a door or I hold a door for somebody. It's like, yeah. you just got to remember, man, like we're all in this together. We're all just try to be a good person. Be nice. You know, golden rule, golden rule. And I think with social media, like uh, uh, I keep doing Rogan references. I do listen to a lot of Rogan podcasts, but I like what he says about like people say shit on social media. They would never say somebody's face, yeah. you know, and like if you did, you would get punched out everywhere you go, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so I think people behave in a in a bad way on social media because there's no consequences. Right? Yeah. You're like an avatar to them. You're not a real person. Right. And it's easy to throw stones. Yeah. You know, well, and, it's just like if you look at dating apps, you wouldn't walk into somebody that you're ugly. You're ugly, but basically that's what swiping left and right is doing. You know, you're judging person based off their appearance only and not who they are as a person. Yep. I don't think any of it's good. <laughs> no, I, I mean, like I said, it, it like that buddy of ours said, it's a mental masturbation, man. It really is like just a mind suck sometimes of a waste of time. Like that's why I like uh, when I said, uh, let me just tell you, I was rubbing my elbow early when I put your, your um, CBD on there. I start working out again. Cause it's like, an hour of my day is going to pass if I'm working out or not. So I might as well use an hour of the day to better myself. Do something productive. Yeah. yeah. So either working out, learning something new, or, you know, just trying to, you know, break out of, you know, the nine to five bullshit. So, yeah, I, I think uh, we need to maybe like to cut that screen time and do something beneficial with it. For sure. How are you on it? Roll you all over it? What? Social media and your phone unfortunately yes like i've wanted i've haven't i've been wanting to look at my phone while we've been recording this for past not like it's like maybe i've had two or three like grab your phone you gotta reach yeah but yeah. i haven't because i'm fucking you know in the moment i'm with you know with you now i need to become more of that on the podcast especially but like i have noticed um like if i'm just chilling in my room or something like that or watching tv on my computer or something like a computer the, the movie's playing but i'm still on my phone yeah. Like, you know, like, okay, what I, I fucking missed something. I got to go back, you know, 
but yeah, I'm definitely a lot on uh, social media. It's funny. Like, uh, I'll get on my phone sometimes and like, I'll take care of an email, mm-hmm. uh, or do this and that. And then there's just that automatic, like when I've run out of things to do on the phone, my thumb will go to that Instagram, you know, and I'll hit it. And then it, I, I have to like try to make myself aware, like, don't go down that hole, man. It's going to suck you in, you know? So, uh, there's better uses for your time, you know, than just mindlessly browsing. Well, especially at night, like when you try and go to bed, like go to sleep instead of fucking playing on your phone. Like it's bad. Like I, I, like I told you earlier, I leave my phone by my computer most of the time now. The, uh, did you play a lot of video games? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I always remember, uh, I got, I love call of duty. I love all the first person shooters and stuff. And I remember like, one year I was playing one of them and I looked down and they keep track of like your game time. Oh know? yeah. And I, I played that thing for like 2,500 hours oh, and, shit. It, and it just hit me. I was like, you know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to master something, you know? And I'm like, dude, I could have been incredible. At, <laughs> I could have spent 2,600 hours playing the guitar and, you know, like I could have put all that time towards something productive that, that added value to my life. And instead I put it into a game that next year, the new version came out <laughs> <laughs> and all those little credits and all that crap that zero is worth nothing, you know. So I, I've I've quit playing video games. I, I think it's just a big time waste, man. Uh, I pulled that PlayStation a few years ago and stuck it in the closet and I hadn't looked back. So yeah, definitely, you know, uh, like you said, our time's valuable, man. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to spend it? You know, spend it wasting it, you know, mindlessly browsing or playing a video game. Or are you going to spend it um, bettering yourself, learning a new skill, you know, learn a language? Learn yeah. a skill, build a business, you know, do something that's, that's worthwhile that you're going to be proud of, you know, that adds value to your life. Yeah. Even when I was talking to uh, Ben Corliss last week, he was like, just look on your table, man. He's like, everything on your table is time. You traded time for that recorder or whatever, the microphone, you know, and it's like, you can't get back that time. So it's like, you might as well try to do something valuable with the time and try to, you know, not always just waste it. Because I think, like, we as people sometimes forget that our time is going to run out eventually. Yeah. You think you're going to live forever. I think we usually get a reset when we see something tragic happen or somebody that's close to us dies. But for the most part, we waste time all day long, every single day. Because, like, people are like, oh, I can't wait for the weekend. But you're wasting those days that you're never going to get back waiting for the weekend. And right. then to do the same thing again. Yeah, I'm not going to do that till the weekend. Well, you, you got three or four hours at night. Yeah. Or as people, I'll do it. I'll do it Monday. I'll start Monday. I'll start tomorrow. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. No, no, and that it becomes uh, it becomes more apparent every year I get older. You know, because I mean, think about just think about the last twenty years. I mean, all the people that we've hung out with that are gone. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like if you told me I'd know that many people that are dead from suicide, drug overdose, um, illness, I would have never believed you. You know. Yeah. Um, I just had uh, just heard the first girl I ever kissed. Man, she just apparently died like three <laughs> days ago. You know. Damn. I mean, I haven't talked to the girl in 30 years, but like, it's just like kind of hits home, you know, when you know that person. Yeah. And uh, it's happening all the time. So, yeah, spend your time wisely. Um, I do have to wrap here in a second because I've, I've got to go to a market today hmm. um, to sell. Um, is there anything else you guys want to know about the yeah, product? Yeah, so like where where can people buy it from? Are you in any stores yet? Um, so we sell at Nail Bar & Co. on the shelf. Uh, there's Harbor Town and Saddle Creek. Um, uh, Erica at Stock & Bell. Um, just had a good conversation with her last week. I was doing a market in their store and I think they're going to um, start stocking my product. Um, it's available. We just got our e-commerce reestablished. There's a, a lot of challenges with CBD. Um, uh, I know when you talk to T and roots, I'll listen to that, po- that podcast. 
they were talking about some of the challenges with the financial system. Like uh, I had this up for two weeks and Stripe and PayPal dropped me within two really? weeks. Yeah. Cause I'm quote high risk, even though I'm a non THC brand. Um, so there, there's a lot of roadblocks to this and um, haven't get, really got a chance to like push it hard yet because you've know, been having to straighten out problem after problem after problem. But uh, we've got our e-commerce back up so you can buy it on the website. It's a uh, Moody uh, M O O D E A N D dot C O. So Moody and co instead of a dot com, we went with the dot C O, you know, just being creative. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the products are, uh, put a lot of time and research and energy into trying to make a great product. I mean, the level of detail we've gone to, um, you know, just on the droppers, uh, the graduations. Yeah. Um, most people put a printed graduation on the cylinder. Well, prints got ink. You've got that sitting in, in, in fluid, you know? So mm. like you're taking a supplement for your health and it's could be leaching yeah. ink in. So we did a uh, laser etched glass cylinders. Okay. So, I mean, like uh, we've, we've put a ton of, of thought and effort into making the best product possible. I'm, I'm really proud of what we, uh, what we've come up with. I think it's, if you're looking for CBD, man, uh, you know, safety and quality or when you're taking anything for supplement or health, you know, uh, safety and quality or, uh, the most important uh, aspects of my mind. So um, everything I have, uh, you can go online. Uh, the COAs are up. We're totally transparent. You can see all the testing, third-party testing we've had from the labs. Um, uh, tested for heavy metals, pesticides, mycotoxins, you know. So I've got great material. Um, everything's clean and as pure as you can get. Um, and like I said, I grew the material. And I'm, I'm proud to, you know, when I sell some of my product, I'm like, look, man, I, I put that plant in the ground. I took it all the way through. I've had chain of custody on this material the whole way through. I can speak for this. This isn't like some CBD that I bought from Alibaba, you know, that came from China. Yeah. That's yeah. toxic as shit, you know, like, and, uh, I think that's a, a big point people should think about in everything that they consume. Like, where did that come from? You know, you need to know, especially when you're taking something for health benefits, like you need to know what's in that. Yeah. I saw this thing. I was watching this Zach Efron thing where he tours, different parts of the world this part he's in australia because it happened during the pandemic he got stuck but he went to his farm and the people they have like cows and you know they slaughter your cows for food in and, india no no oh. it's australia and uh he was like uh, you know they get to know the cow or whatever and he's like how do you kill something that you grew and you love and and eat it and he's like, how do you, and the lady's like, how do you eat something you don't know? And that's most of us. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'm like, I wouldn't be holding a dead animal, but I'm going to put it in my fucking mouth. <laughs> you know, it's weird how we think about shit, man. Like when it's outside of this, you know, you don't really take in consideration, but I've always heard people that are hunters, like they appreciate it more when they harvest it and, you know, they, they know everything that's in it. And it generally tastes better too, from my understanding. For sure. For sure. I'm a, I'm a big hunter, man. I spend, uh, I've got a deal worked out with my wife. I, I save my brownie points all year. And <laughs> from November to February, I'm just gone. Really? I'm wind, yeah. We have a duck club in Arkansas and uh, a deer hunt. Um, I've been doing Western game for like the last two years. Went and got an Axis. You ever seen those? Mm -mm. They're from India. It's real pretty deer. They uh, they brought them in as exotics, and they got loose in Texas, and now they're like out competing the natural deer. I think I've heard Rogan talk about them. They're man, they are so tasty. So I killed a really cool axis uh, over the summer down in South Texas on the Mexican border. Damn, um, it's a blast, man. I I love being out in the woods. I grew up just running around the woods hunting and and backpacking and camping. I was a Boy Scout. 
which is hard to believe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my other passion. And I think that's why I like farming, man. I just, I like being out outside, man. That was the best thing about my job was being out in the field all day. Yeah. Know? Um, it's a good skill to have too, man, especially if something wild pops off. <laughs> Uh, I felt pretty good about things when COVID hit and I, my wife looked at me and she's like, we all right. And I'm like, man, I can, I can turn up at any moment and I've got three greenhouses. I can grow enough food for a hundred people, you know? Yeah. But, um, that's, that's why I got into the organic farming was to feed us oh, okay. good, clean food. Yeah. You know, I, I like the, I wouldn't say I'm like a prepper or anything like that, but I think it's, uh, I think it's a good thing to, be self-sufficient, you know what I mean? And not rely on other people and top resources and like be able to provide for yourself. Like, well, just think about like when they have these water contaminations and they're like, you need to boil your water. And I think most of us don't have water on hand just in case something bad does happen. No. And we're spoiled. And we on, need water. We're spoiled I mean, we're on dead without water. water, man. We are. We're spoiled on good water in Memphis too. Yeah. You know? Like go down to Florida and drink their water. That's <laughs> <laughs> trash. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> And so then, I know I know you got a role, but um, let me ask you a quick question. Sure. So, what's your advice for people? What mark do you see yourself leaving on the world? And who would you like to give flowers to? Who would I like to give flowers? I'll give flowers to my wife. She loves that's her favorite thing. So, uh, as far as mark on the world, man, uh, I uh, I'd like to leave this farm as a legacy to my family. You know, to my kids. Uh, put a lot of time and effort in, into making a really good property and being a good steward of my land. Um. And, um, man, I just hope when I die, people are like, you know, Brandon was always a good guy to me, you know, and, um, just think well of me, you know, you've always been a solid dude. Like, you know, well, I appreciate that. You've always been a solid dude, man. So I think, I think Patricia's actually going to listen to one episode of ours and it's going to be this one. I tell her (laughs) if you did the podcast, you actually download and listen to it. I love Patricia. I I wish I, I need to make more of an effort to like be around and spend some more time with people. Uh, I get caught up in my stuff like we all do. You know, but um, it's it's cool that you and I have known each other for what twenty five plus years yeah. now, and that you know I can see Raul, and it's just like I just saw him two weeks ago. You know, just right back in it. So, um, but yeah, man, like I guess uh, wrap up the conversation. Just one be, one question, sure. What do you consider a good life? Um, being proud of what you've accomplished at the end of the day and minimizing your regrets. You know, uh, that, I think that's been one of my biggest fears and why, like when I, when I get into something like music or anything that I've done in my life, I throw myself at it, you know, like I didn't know how to grow hemp, you know, um, I threw myself into it. I absorbed everything I could and, and I did it. And, uh, I think my biggest fear in life would be to be elderly and looking back going, man, I should have done this. I could have done this. You know, I had the time to do it. Why didn't I? Cause you can't like like Tony was saying, you can't get time back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just like, I've always had this fear that like, I just don't want to look back on my life and go, why didn't you do, do this? You know? So travel, uh, follow your passions, do the things you love, try to do, try to do something of substance with your life. I think that's the most important thing. Um, cause at the end of the day, it's not about all the shit you got around you when you die, you know? Um, you never hear an old people, uh, a person on their deathbed talking about the things that they have. They're talking about their memories, mm-hmm. you know, their life experiences, their friends. Those are the things of value in your life. And that's what you should put your time and your energy into, in my opinion. And keep your word, especially to yourself. Yeah. Because, like, if you tell yourself you're going to do something, you should do it. 
Because I wrote some the other day. It's like, if you can't keep your word to yourself, why should I believe in you? <laughs> it's, that's a good thought. You know. Let me ask you this then, because sure. you're very thoughtful. What do you think is going to happen when we die? Where do you think what happens? Um, you know, I, I believe in God. Um, I believe in higher, higher power. And I, you know, I've had experiences in my life that have uh, reaffirmed that. So um, I think that uh, all of us have like, you can call it an energy or a soul. Um, and I think that that translates outside of our, our body, you know. So I, I believe there's an afterlife. I don't know what that looks like, you know. But uh, I think that like you're here um, and you're growing your energy by the things that you do, like your acts of kindness or or your, you know, your fallacies, mm-hmm. you know, your mistakes. And uh, I think that all bundles in and moves on with you. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. Are you a Christian? Are you believing you believe in higher power? Or? I just I don't know what it is, man. I, I think there's something. I mean, I think, like you said, as far as energy, because I know my body's going to be decomposed and something's going to eat me and then, you know, something else is going to eat that, <laughs> you know, because I guess even as a hunter, you would know that. Yeah. Like you take a life and then it feeds you and, you know, we just keep going and, we, you know, circular flow. So I was having this conversation with my buddy last night when he was in town, you know, he's kind of agnostic, you know, and I'm like, there's nothing wrong with being agnostic. I think when you look at like all the major religions and cultures, they all kind of tell the same tale. Yeah. You know, when you, when you boil it down, all the stories are very, very similar. Um, so I, to me, I look at religion as like, you celebrate that in, in the way that your culture celebrates it. But I don't look at those people as any different than me. Yeah. Um, they still believe in a higher power. They could all be the same God. It, it probably is, you know, um, it's just, you choose to celebrate uh, in this way and I choose to celebrate in this way. So I was like, it doesn't really matter which you subscribe to as long as I think you believe in a higher power. I, I think it's egotistical to not to think that, you know, there's not something better, bigger and better than you. you know? I mean, everything on this table is created by something. So there has to be some type of creator. Yeah. You know, so I don't, I don't think our, our pea brains could wrap our heads around it. Even if we did get that information, like, but I just think that, like you said earlier, I just think it's the kindness thing. I think we just need to be kind to each other. You can either disagree you can believe this and that, but you don't have to call somebody out of their name. You just have to respect people. Yeah. And respect that people have a different opinion on yeah. things. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make them that much different. And like you said, like you said, at the end of the day, you, you can sit down and talk to somebody that you're completely different with. And you and I can sit here and have a conversation. And, you know, if that never gets brought up, we, we like each other. Mm-hmm. But they've trained everybody to be like, well, if you believe this, then that's a despicable person. You can't like them, you know, and it's like uh, just enjoy people for who they are, man. Don't yeah. Cause I've never seen an argument won by calling somebody out their name. It usually ends in a fight. Yeah. And that's why there's so many wars because people have different sense of opinion instead of fit sitting down and figure it out. It's just bloodshed. Yeah. And that doesn't solve anything. Well, in this whole, um, closure of discussion, you know, that, uh, these, these things can't be debated anymore or discussed, you know, like, that's the worst thing that's taking us in the wrong direction. Like if you can't talk about things, like if we can't sit here and, and debate this and work this out between ourselves, then there is no middle ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you'll always be on the other side. There's no resolution. And, um, that's the thing I hate the most about what I'm seeing these days is like, people aren't even willing to discuss anything. They're like, well, if you believe that, then I just don't even like you. And I'm not going to even talk about it with you. And it's like, what happened to conversation? You know? Yeah. 
figuring like, it out, figuring it out. And you know, that's the biggest difference between when we were kids. I see like, uh, in society and politically, like it seemed like when we were kids, everybody kind of leaned towards the middle, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, all right, where's the middle ground where everybody can be happy and everybody can have a piece of the pie. And now it's just like turn the opposite way and people are running for the edges. Yeah. yeah people are less tolerant these days, it seems, or at least the vo- the loud vocal people seem that way. Yeah. And I, I think that has a lot to do with social media and media yeah. in general. Like they're just fanning those flames. But, um, but yeah. yeah, man, I appreciate you doing this. You got to come back and I would love to hear more about the hunting and your growing of, uh, like agriculture type stuff. Yeah, man. Y'all, you guys come out to the farm and see it. See For it sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll be setting plants up. Uh, took a, a, a year off from growing last year because I was putting so much time into the development of this product. And man, when you got plants in the ground, it's, it's an everyday thing. Um, but next year, I'm hoping to get back into growing food again. I really enjoyed that. Um, it was fun working with the, the chefs and stuff and bringing them fresh food and seeing them be excited about, you know, what I'm bringing in. Um, they love working with local farms. And uh, it's just really cool, like, eating something that you created, you know, that you brought from your own ground. And what's your farm called? Um, I was uh, running under the name Ghost River Growers. Okay. Uh, I back up to the Ghost River um, in Fayette County. I got you. Um, yeah. So, um I don't know what I'm going to relaunch as, but uh, if I get back into growing, I'll probably be hitting like farmer's markets and uh, trying to work with some restaurants again. I enjoyed that. Do you do chicken like eggs too? I do. Yeah. Man, my buddy Thacker gave me some of his eggs and it, the yolk is so much different than what you buy in the fucking store. Does it taste better? Yes. Yeah. It's a big difference. Like uh, when I free range my chickens, the yolks get orange. They're like eating bugs and uh, seed and stuff from the, from the grass. And, but when you feed them like chicken feed, it's like a yellow oak, mm-hmm. yellow oh. yolk. Um, but uh, yeah, I love my chickens, man. They're the best pets. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be a pain in the ass when you got to get them back in the coop. But uh, um, they're funny, man. They're funny. They yeah, I their... like to come see the farm, man. Yeah, man, y'all come out. Uh, we'll just burn a campfire one night and have some beers. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. I hope uh, sure. y'all learned I a little like bit I like your products too, man. Thank yeah, you. That really sets the mood. The strawberry fields one I had, that was uh, good shit, man. And that, and that little, uh, I forget which one it was called, but the uh, unwind. Mm-hmm. I was over here chill, man. Like, <laughs> and I'm definitely going to use this uh, fire and ice every time after I get done working out. Yeah, when you get done working out in your sore, put it on. And um, I, I love hearing feedback, you know, if, if there's anything uh, I can change um, on the next batch, you know. Uh, I like your name in the packaging, too. Yeah, my sister-in-law is really talented, man. She does. Uh, Shout out to your sister-in-law. Yeah, she she hand drew all those icons. Oh wow, really? She hand drew all the artwork and everything. So oh, she's talented. She's got one of those iPad. Um. So she did a really good job, man. I'm lucky to work with them, but thanks again for having me. I'm yeah, glad we were able to make this happen, man. Yeah, for it's sure. only been like two months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like you know, I was like, hey, I. You know, I got this open. Can you do it? No, I can't, man. You know, I got, I'm going to whatever out of town. Hey, I got this open. The guest fell off. I'm just glad. Well, you're going to have to get some brownie points from your wife because you <laughs> missed her run at St. Jude. But, yeah, I'm glad you came, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Roll. It was good to see you, man. Yeah, brother. Nice to meet you too, Tom. Uh, same here, man. All right. We love you, got- you lots.